Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this. It's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible. Just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meats, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, Liquid Death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives.
chicken sandwich. He goes, no, no, man. He doesn't eat meat. <laughs> Vegetarian. <laughs> so you got a grilled cheese. You got a grilled cheese sandwich. That was my shit. I used to always have grilled cheese before I went uh, vegan. Um, right. You, I see your last name, Rind. 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 I never knew that. It's so crazy. You always know each other like by their last, like Phil Sacred Reich. Right. Like Toby H2O. Um, yeah. It's easier. <laughs> um, okay. Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. Today, I have a good friend of mine. We go back 30 years. Uh, my man, Phil Rind from Sacred Reich is in my kitchen. Thank you for being here, man. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We've man. been talking about this for a long time, too. I don't even know where to start with you because. Fuck, we did a tour in 1990. This is go. We'll go back, then we'll go forward. But yeah, we did the um, New Titans on the Block tour in 1991, bro. It was crazy. It was like the first time a hardcore band, sick of it all, played with like metal bands. I've never seen nothing like. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but like from the New York hardcore scene. Well, Chromax did a Motorhead tour. Right. That was it. But this is different. This is Sacred Reich, Napalm Death, Sepultura, Sick of It All. It was crazy, man. It was out of control. It was like pre-internet, pre-everything, um, crazy-ass shows, some violent shows, some wild shows. Um, we shared a bus with Napalm Death, which I never heard of that band in my life, or any of these bands, because I wasn't into metal. I didn't know any of this stuff. I knew Sepultura because I worked at Roadrun in the mailroom. I gotcha. Um, but then they're sharing a bus with Napalm Death and just touring with you guys, and it was, it was just a crazy... How long was that tour? Do you remember? It was nine weeks. <laughs> we did eight weeks with them in Europe, came home for like 10 days, and then went out for another nine weeks in the U.S. Can you imagine doing a nine-week <clears throat> tour right now? Uh, we did. <clears throat> Wait, you did a long one? In 2019, when the record came out before COVID, we did eight weeks with Guar in the U.S., and the day after the last show with Guar, we drove to the airport in Chicago, flew to Denmark, and then started uh, a five-week tour in Europe. So we did 13 weeks in a row. Oh, so what? So what is that like at at somebody like our age? Too much. I'll <laughs> never do it again. <laughs> Even so, for singing too. It was too much. It was, you know, we had already planned our you uh, our European tour, and then the Guar thing kind of came up. Yeah. And it was a great opportunity for us, so we said yes. But yeah, 13 weeks too much, man. It's you felt it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end, I was like, we're not going to do that again. I, I think four weeks, five weeks is tops. Five weeks tops. But back then it was easy. It was just we were young. Yeah, you're in your 20s, and who cares? I mean, that's what you do. And and Gloria. Who was our manager, Sepultura's manager? She was like, let's. Gloria wanted to go everywhere, be everywhere, do everything. We, you know, back in the 90s, we went to Yugoslavia and they were like, hey, that's where the uh, Civil War is. Wow. You know, when everything was still the, behind the Iron Curtain, Czechoslovakia, Poland. You know. What year was that? This up? was uh, 1989, 1990. <sighs> yeah. So it's so crazy. And this touring now, it's just so different and just so much easier. Mm, you, at least communication wise and knowing yeah. where things are and having a cell phone. I used to have to go stand in the train station and pump Deutschmarks into <laughs> to the phone to call my wife. You know, you remember those phone dialers too? Did you ever get those? Uh uh-uh. well, it was maybe it was a New York thing. You get these dialers from Radio Shack and then you can <laughs> you can make them sound like coins. Oh, so wow. we hold them up to the pay phones and it's like you're putting quarters in. But sometimes the operator would go, "Excuse me, sir, please try using real money." And we'd be like, "Oh my god, yeah. they're following us!" But that was a hustle, calling from offices like in different uh, 
<laughs> at different places in Europe, different, yeah. different venues. Yeah. Then the label will be like, or the um, booking agent like, hey guys, uh, there's a bunch of calls to New York on this one <coughs> German <laughs> venue. That's funny. We're just trying to keep in touch with loved ones and just, you know, just sacrificing yeah, a lot, just doing a band. Having different currency from every different country and crossing a border every night was a nightmare. Damn. That's why it was. We were like kings of making pipes out of uh, coke cans and stuff because you could you'd have to ditch them every day. You could have no paraphernalia, um, no drugs. How has this turned out? So it's municipal waste, creeping death and carcass. Yeah, it's been it's great. A sick lineup. It's man. been great, and all the bands are super cool. Everybody gets along, and you know everybody's commenting about how easy the whole thing has been. And, how uh, it is? Yeah. Wow. Um, and then before before that pandemic. Your last record, like it did, it did really, really good. Like it was chart, it was like crazy. It was uh, heartwarming. <laughs> yeah, and, and and how long was it between the last record and 20, that record? Twenty three years. Tw- yeah, that's right. Twenty three. Wait, years. the last one was 1996? Yeah. Heal. Yeah, yeah. And then two thousand nineteen Awakening. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. It was uh, like a bit of a minor miracle that we even made a record for years. I mean, nothing was going on and. I would sit down and try to write and nothing, I just, it wasn't happening. And then one day it just started, it's like a radio antenna, you know, just boop, turn back on. Yeah. The music came. So you had writer's block for all those years, you think, or no? Were, were yeah, you guys, writer's were, were, were block. You broken up or? Yeah, we stopped playing for, uh, uh, probably 97, we stopped playing. Completely. Then, yeah, I put my bass in my closet and I didn't even look at it. Wow. I we I I particularly just moved on. I was splitting up with my wife. I had two kids. You know, my life was changing and moving on. So uh, I just put my base away, and that was it. You know, that we were done. That part of my life was over. And you would just you had toured since well, the band started in nineteen eighty five. Yeah, eighty five, eighty six. Yeah, the first record, well, the first demo was eighty six. Yeah, and then we did our first record in eighty seven. And our first tour consisted of four shows on the Ignorance album. It was Cleveland. That was the zip for the Ignorance album? That's it. Cleveland, Detroit, Cincinnati, and Toronto. Yeah. So random, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we drove all the way to Toronto from, from Phoenix. Wow. And it was killer. Yeah. And that was it. And then we finally got an agent like uh, on when Surf Nicaragua came out. Like... You know, Metal Blade wanted another record. We go, well, we have this EP thing. And they're like, EPs never do well. And then it totally outsold our record in the first month. Was that the record you had when we did that tour, I think, right? Around that time? Uh, We were actually, that was on the American Way record. American but, Way, that uh, was 1990 that came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surf, Surf was 88. And they're like, yeah, EPs don't do well. And it was the thing that really got us touring and got us known and still... It's probably our most popular song, Surf Nicaragua. So Wow. Yeah, you never know. What label was that on back then? That was Metal Blade. Damn. Yeah. And so what, you, so what are you doing? So you guys toured pretty much straight from all those years because after that, American Way, A Question, Independent, and Heal. So you're touring like crazy. That was like your life. We like, were you working jobs in between when you're coming home? No, not at that time. Just full-on musician. Yeah, it was just metal, metal, metal. And then when the band breaks up, what do you do? Is it weird like transitioning from be, being a full-time musician, that's your life, and going into the real world? Well, yeah. I mean, considering, like, I dropped out of high school to go record our first record. I was 17. Like, my mom signed my record contract because I, I was a minor. Wow. And so it was from, I joined the band, I was 16. And, uh, and then so from there until 30, it was music. 
Yeah. And I didn't graduate high school, and I was in a band all those years. So when you put band on your resume, you may as well just write drugs, you know, for all they know. <laughs> yeah. So Sick just right, yeah. starting all over again, you know. Wow. But, you know, and in life, you just figure out pretty quickly. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And if you have a connection here, a connection there, you really have to know people because, you know, there's people 30 that already have 10 years experience in whatever they're doing in their field. Yeah, real job, wife and kids, all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you know, and I'm just starting again. So you start at the bottom and work your way up and just do what you got to do. You know, I did lots of stuff I didn't want to do and didn't like to do. Yeah. I was fucking miserable for a lot of years. Imagine, yeah. Like, not saying you weren't humble, but it must be humbling going from that. Like, and then what was your first job? Do you remember what you did? Did you have uh, any idea what you wanted to do? No. It's scary. I just wanted to do whatever I could make the most money at. I had, you yeah. know, like I said, I was... My wife and I were splitting up at the time. I had two kids, you know, eight and six, and uh, two boys. And I was like, man, you know, what's the rest of my life look like? Yeah. And it was a, a big eye-opener. Were you bummed about the band breaking up? It felt like the right thing. Like, you know, I think sometimes your band has an arc, right? You, yeah. You, you're on your way up, and then if you're paying attention, you can see that you're on your way down. Some people can't see it. Some people don't. Yeah. And it's really good uh, yeah. that you actually saw that. Yeah. It, it You know, it was diminishing returns, and you could see, and music was changing, right? Like, yeah. all the metal bands went through a thing, and like, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden, and some people blame those bands. I'm just like, come on, man, life changes, you know, adapt or get out of the way. Mm -hmm. And that's just life. Everything's always changing. So yeah, you got to go with it. You know, were you living in Arizona the whole time? Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Wow. And providing for your family. All yeah. Doing music. the best I could. I did all kinds of jobs and whatever. Were you working in between tours too? At that time? No, no, it was just hardcore band. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was a big gear shift and, you know, change into just being home all the time and trying to take care of the kids and did you ever get your ged i did i got my ged that summer nice. after we my mom's a teacher okay and she she couldn't believe that she goes you will regret it for the rest of your life that you didn't get your high school diploma i go ma i haven't even regret it for five minutes yet mm. you know uh, I but went she to, still signed the contract because she believed in you. Well, uh, she was down. Yeah, well, she knew going. she couldn't stop me. Okay. There was no stopping. <laughs> and like you know, we went and recorded and did that stuff. And I like, you know, for them, I went to community college. You know, and that. But I was working and going to school and being in the band. And someone had to give. I couldn't go to school. Yeah. So I, I would get up and go like I was going to class, so they wouldn't say anything because I didn't want to disappoint them. But you had good grades until you quit. I I was you know like I grew up in Brooklyn. I did not know that. And moved to Phoenix when I was 12. So you were born in New York? I was born in New York. Did not know that. Coney That's Island area. What? That's amazing. Yeah, I was born in Coney Island Hospital. And you then, have siblings uh, too? No, just me. Okay. So, uh, you know, like, I remember we were getting ready to move to Phoenix, and my sixth grade teacher told my parents, like, he should probably skip seventh grade, you know? But I was already really young for my grade, and my parents didn't want me to be two years younger than everybody, and then... When we got to Phoenix, they were teaching me stuff in seventh grade that I had learned in fifth grade. Wow. And I just checked out. I was okay. like, come on, man. <laughs> this is lame. And why Arizona? Uh, my parents moved there. Uh, yeah. It's for work or something. It's, pro it's probably a really long, sordid story that I'm not aware of. Yeah. That they've never shared with me. But did you like New York? 
I fucking love New York. It bro- I grew up in the same neighborhood my whole life, and it killed me that we were moving. Ah. And every summer, I couldn't wait to get back. My grandparents still lived in my in the neighborhood I grew up, so every summer nice. I would go back and visit. Because we were in Seagate at the tip of Coney Island, surrounded yeah. by water on three sides. I spent my summers at the beach. Damn. And then I moved to a fucking desert. I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And, and we moved there, and it was like August, right, which is the hottest part of the year and the most humid. And you go outside, and you just get heat sickness. Damn. I'm like, what's 112? This is ridiculous. Fuck. Yeah, especially from New York, it's like a culture shock, too. Probably. Oh, yeah. Forget I got a Brooklyn accent. and fucking, <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, I, I hated it. So what kind of music did you listen to before you found the music that you play? Like, were your family playing music in the house? Like, what was your My, music? Yeah, I grew up listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nice. And Stevie Wonder. And it was disco 70s, you know? Yeah. And that's what my mom was into. My dad was like into Hendrix and Janis Joplin and some other stuff, but it was mostly what my mom listened to. And to this day, I still listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Stevie Wonder, two of my favorites, you know, ever. Awesome. The Barbara Streisand thing didn't take on me or Johnny Mathis that Johnny my mom loves. my mom like that too. Yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> but it didn't stick with me, but the other stuff really did. So what about your exposure to like harder music? Like wh- when was that? How old were you? Uh, when I moved to Phoenix, I, I met uh-huh. the, my friend named Todd Fleming, and he was like into Rush and Black Sabbath and Judas Priest and Scorpions and Ted Nugent too, but that's another story. But, uh, <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Wango it, Tango. Yeah, and he, was, uh, he played guitar, and he goes, get a bass and we'll jam. Like I wanted to play drums. My parents like, no fucking way, not playing drums. Could you play drums? Not well. Okay. I've always, I bought a drum set later on and I had a drum set and yeah. I always, I'm a closet drummer. <laughs> and me and our old guitar player, Jason, would always do drum wars like at practice. Oh, that's Who's cool. better? Who's better? <laughs> neither so, of us. I think the answer is neither of us. So what grade are you going into when you go to Arizona? Like Seventh. What? Wow. Okay. It was so fucking awkward, man. No friends out there? No. Just like, no, ah. man. Just fucking bumping did, around. Did you have long hair then? No. I had just a normal kid. Big old Sally Jesse Raphael glasses and Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Yeah. It's See, an awkward time for anybody totally. at that age. And then to move across the country was like a big culture shock, like you said. You're leaving New York. That's crazy, bro. I didn't even know that. Yeah, man. So then you so you start your band when you're in school, obviously because you signed when you're seventeen. Yeah, I played uh What's the bands before Sigur, right? So it was funny, my freshman year in high school, I was 14, and I was jamming with these two other guys, and uh, we were going to play the high school talent show. Nice. And we got, uh, it was me and my friend John Bronson on guitar, my friend Mike Grant on drums, and I was playing bass. And uh, we got Wiley, who wound up being our guitar player, to come and play lead guitar. Nice. So my freshman year in 1984, Wiley came in, I jammed with Wiley for the first time. Little did I know he would join the band, you know, several years later, and we would be doing this for the next 35 years of our life, you know? Wow, man. Yeah, so I was jammed with some friends, and we played, uh, I think it was Rainbow in the Dark by Dio. No singer. We didn't have anyone who sang. No singer, just uh, instrument? Yeah. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and then I started jamming with these guys, and we played a band. We played some parties. We do, like, Metallica and uh, Iron Maiden stuff, and... Fast as a Shark by Accept. <laughs> and yeah, and then they kicked me out of the band because they were, they had, uh, they're two bands. So uh, it was this dude, Ken Rodarde, who now plays in, um, fuck, is it Sirathungal? 
Okay. So Ken and uh, Mike, the drummer, and this dude, uh, he had a bass player, and he was really good. He was more talented than me, obviously. So they combined the band. So they took the drummer from our band, who was the best. Ken was the guitar player, and they took, oh, Nick. They took Nick, the bass player, and they're like, man, we're really sorry. I'm like, that's okay, you know. I was upset. Yeah. But uh, he was clearly a better bass player than I was. Were you singing it all too growing up? No, not yet. Like when I I joined Sacred Reich, there was a band called Sacred Reich with completely other people in it. Wow. Except for Jason. Jason started the band and they had a different bass player. Like they they asked me to play with them and they had this drummer and I went and jammed with him. I go, call me back when you get a different drummer because that guy is no good. Like, whoa. And they, I was working at this deli (laughs) my sophomore year in high school. I was working at this deli and they were like, hey, we got Greg, this uh, Greg Hall, who is our drummer. Who was like the hot shot drummer in the neighborhood. Okay. Hey, we got Greg in the band. I'm like, all right, let's jam. And we started jamming. And we had a singer at the time, too. And, uh, you know, he was a little older than us. So he had a job in an apartment. We were all kids. Wow. So he would not show up to practice sometimes because he had to work. And we started writing original material. And I would write the lyrics. So I would sing and practice. Okay. So everyone would hear how the songs were supposed to be. And we're getting ready to go do our demo. Like, hey, everyone's throwing in a hundred bucks, you know? It's a lot of money back then. And Dan's like, I can't throw in the money. We're like, everyone's throwing in a hundred bucks, Dan. He was the singer. He's like, I can't do it. And Jason, our guitar player, goes, fuck him, you sing. I was like, what? Wow. He's like, fuck him, you sing. You sound better. I'm like, are you sure? So that's what we did. And we went and did the demo. And it's weird, like, I don't know if you had the same experience, like, you could never hear yourself in practice, the PA was never loud Terrible. enough, so you get in the studio, you're like, holy shit, that's what I sound like, yeah. you can actually hear yourself. It's so true. Or even playing the show, like, in a DIY spot, and then finally going to a real stage with the PA, you're like, wow, the band sounds good. Yeah, I mean, it's scary to hear yourself, you're like, I never <laughs> I hate hear myself, dude, yeah. yeah. I can't listen to stuff I record, but yeah, so then you finally hear yourself singing, like, okay. Yeah, and then I remember good. our first show, too, I'm like, alright, I'll sing, but I'm not talking to the crowd. Were you super nervous? Yeah, and Jason's like, you have to. That's part of the job. Part of the deal. Like, have you back turned to him? I was not good at it. I was actually pretty rude. Really? Yeah. Like if people, if I was an instigator. Like if people weren't up front, I'm like, come on, you fucking pussies, get your ass up here. Yeah. You fucking assholes in the back. If you don't like it, get up or get out. We already got your fucking money. <laughs> and the dude to be on stage, like, dude, what the fuck, man? <laughs> so I stopped that. Do you maybe first show with them? Singing, yeah, yeah, at the mason jar, it's still there. Oh, I know that spot, yeah, yeah, man. I remember, I was like, Whoa. Was there a lot of people there? All your friends? Oh, no, no, okay, no, <laughs> no. Your friends. we started playing uh, as Sacred Reich. Like, I joined the band, I just wanted to play a show at a bar, yeah, and we started playing at a place called the Bootlegger, and we played there pretty regularly. And Gloria, who wound up being our manager, Sepultura's manager, yep. she ran the bar. And then they had some problems with uh, this court that was in the same like kind of area. And then they lost the bar. She started promoting shows. And she would put us on all the shows that would come through town. And that's how we developed a relationship with her. And then when Metal Blade asked us if we want a contract, we asked Gloria if she wanted to be our manager. And that's how that started. Crazy, man. And that was just it from there. Yeah, and it was fucking on. Damn. So by the time you record your first record, you guys have a following like as a local band or kind of, I mean, it was never really our goal to be the biggest band in Phoenix. Yeah. You know, like uh, Flotsam and Jetsam was from, our, know that. Our, yeah, Flotsam was from Phoenix and they were like our big brother band. Jason, our guitar player used to work for them was like their crew okay. guy. 
And Jason Newstead, who was in the band at the time, was really instrumental helping us out a great deal. He wrote our first bio. Oh, wow. He, he was really had his shit together and had a huge mailing list of all fanzines and all these things in Europe. So when we went and recorded our demo, he's like, here's the list. Here's who you send these things to. Wow. So we would get press and he would do uh, interviews on audio cassette instead of, you know, back then. Yeah. Instead of typing a letter back and answering these handwritten questions, he would just record it on uh, audio tape and put our demo on the backside and Dude. send it out to people. Yeah. And he would tell Metal Blade, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich. How fucking awesome. How DIY too, man. Yeah, man. He was, uh, he really showed us how to do stuff. He was yeah. about six years older. You yeah. know, so he had his shit together. He was really fucking motivated. That's and cool. He man. was the captain of that ship. It was it was clear. I just watched how they would do things. And yeah, I remember, you know, the day that Cliff died, we actually had a show. And he came to the show and he had a black armband on. And he ripped it in half and he tore, you know, tied around my arm. He's like, we're in mourning. And then he goes, practice up. We're going to go audition. And I was like, <sighs> I was 16. I wasn't going 16. any I wasn't going anywhere to audition, but he was 22. 16. Oh, wow. And he went and auditioned for Metallica. Dude. And then he came back. I go, "What?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm going back for a second audition." I was like, "Shut the fuck up." That's Yeah, crazy. got the gig, dude. And he went to Japan with them and came back and we went to his house and he had a VHS tape of him playing with Metallica. <laughs> and we were like, "No fucking way." Like, no, cuz those were our heroes. Yeah. I mean, Metallica was our, it was Metallica and Slayer, but Metallica were our fucking heroes. Damn. That's a hometown kid. A guy goes to play with him comes wow. Yeah, dude. man. That was like insane like just that's like winning the golden ticket, right? Of course. To join what turns out to be the biggest band of their, you know, biggest metal band of their generation, yes. easily. I mean, it's Metallica and everybody else. People talk yeah. about the big four. There's the big one and everybody else. And no disrespect to Slayer, who I love, but come on. Yeah. They don't have the biggest selling record of the Soundscan era. Fuck. Is it the Black Album? Yeah. And people, for me, I, I like the fast stuff. I, I appreciate it now. Back then, I was kind of like too hardcore, but I love that record. I know the fans thought it was too commercial, whatever. Yeah. It's such a banger of a record man yeah, it was, you know it's funny so you like that record when it came out i love the black record um i i just i dug it you know it definitely was a, a change and uh a change in approach and change in sound and they work with bob rock for the first time and i had a friend who said that was the beginning of the end and i go well you know in retrospect because i i'm not into load or, or any of those mm -hmm. you know I like Death Magnetic, but all those records leading up to Death Magnetic, I was like, oh, you know, it wasn't for me. Yeah. You know, and that's fine because they had made all those records that right, right, cemented their place as yes. the most important band of that time and knocked in the door for everybody. And it's their 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 propers are unimpeachable. You can't yeah. <clears throat> like you might not like any of that stuff. You might not like any of the new stuff. And it's all fucking inconsequential because of what they've done for the entire scene. And, yeah, I agree. And what they mean to music and how they've, you know, handled themselves through a lot of ups and downs. And you might not like all of it. And you don't fucking have to. Yeah. I think I saw like when it had that one that song <clears throat> one on Justice for All. Yeah. Incredible video song. I was like, wow, that's like yeah. ballad. Like, I love when bands like change it up. This is the thing about them. You know, like there's the acdc slayer way to go like this is what we do and we stick to it and that's yep. totally cool man 
And there's another side like, hey, we're going to try to change stuff up and evolve. And there's no right or wrong way. It's just whatever you choose. But you open yourself up for a lot of criticism if you try to do different things. The part that I don't like about the criticism in general is trying to say, well, they're doing it for these reasons. Like, you don't know those guys. You You don't don't know any. Either you like it or you don't. And criticize it on those merits. But don't say, hey, they sold out, blah, blah, blah. I go, you ever meet James Hatfield? I'm pretty sure James Hatfield doesn't do any fucking thing other than for the reason that James Hatfield wants to. True. So to say anybody else has different motivation, you don't know these guys. You don't know these people. If you say, I don't like the music, fine. Leave it at that. Yeah. But to think that you can say they're doing it because of this or that. Go, people you've never met, you don't fucking know these people, <laughs> no. man. That's the same thing about every person, especially with internet. Like, of course. People think they know you, know you just from one post or one record or one lyric and stuff, but it's like there's more to you than that where they see online. It's, it's, that's a whole different, different thing. But back then there was no internet, so I get it. Yeah. But yeah, which is interesting. You know, when our record came out in 2019 and I told my wife. Yeah, because there was no internet back no. then. There's our first record in the internet age. I told my <laughs> wife, don't read the comments. <laughs> don't read the comments and absolutely don't respond in any way. Never, ever, ever. I don't want to see you ever respond to any of these people. And I go, and I'll tell you what. The people who would criticize the band are not our fans. And we're not playing to them. And two, wouldn't it be crazy to think that everybody was going to like your band anyhow? Of course people aren't going to like it. Of course. So why why would you be surprised? Great point, man. And just leave it alone. Those aren't the people that we're playing to. The people that enjoy it, the people that come to the shows, the people that buy the records, people that stream it, whatever. Those are our people. Yeah. And it can change. They could be like, ah, I really like the old stuff and you guys suck now. Uh, cool, man. Yeah. You want to come for Surf Nicaragua or Ignorance? There's people that like our first record, Ignorance, Same. the most thrash record that we ever did. We ne- And once we did it, I was like, okay, we played fast, we played heavy. I'm not impressed. I just want to write the best songs and memorable and hooky shit yes i want to sing the best i can and be the best songwriter and if that's not for everybody that's okay we have something for everybody each of our records is different you know time and place for those records exactly how could how Mm -hmm. could you you're not the same person you're not man you know so that's so hard it's so interesting people want they see you a certain way or expect you to be the same or stay the same or play that those one songs or that one album and then and you're right the fans are the ones that are criticizing but they're still following. They're still paying attention to what you're doing. Good or bad comments. Yeah. They're, still, they're still talking about you. And um, maybe they like it or they don't like it or, you know, that's all fine. Like we, how do you know what anyone's going to like? We're just trying to do our best, right? Yeah. We're trying to write the best songs that we think are the best and we hope everybody else likes it. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And if they don't, that's fine because we'll make another record and I'll be, look, man, yeah. we, we had made a record in 23 years. 23 years. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, Mark Pellington, who's a, a movie director and a video director. He did like Pearl Jam, Jeremy. Damn. You know, like. All right. You too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I was talking to him and I was like, ah, I don't even know what we sound like anymore. Do we sound like the Ignorance record? Do we sound like the American Way? Do we sound like Black Sabbath? I don't know. And he said, you know, you sound like whatever you do. He goes, look, he said, I was driving to my movie premiere and it was the biggest thing in the world for me. But I'm driving by restaurants full of people who don't care. People doing their laundry. They don't care. He goes, just do your stuff and put it out. And then just go do more stuff and put it out. Yeah. And it was really liberating. Mm. You know, like you don't have to overthink everything. You just no. do your thing, man. Yeah. We That's all we could ever do. We yeah. can't do anybody else's thing. 
Yeah, I can't imagine your influences how they changed since twenty years ago. What you've been listening to, or how yeah. your life changed. Yeah, you know, everything. Oh man, everything. Everything changed. You yeah. know, everything. It's changed. almost like you and you guys were in jail, and you finally came out like, "Oh, we're back in the world." And there's like phones and this internet, and like now we're gonna make this record. And like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Going through like splitting up with my wife, and then we got back together. You back together now? Yeah, that's I told a, I told everybody amazing, our, divor- our divorce didn't work out. How long have you been married for now? Oh, Jesus. So we've when been together since I'm 18. Bro, that's amazing. So we've been married 28 years, and then we were together six years before that, so what, 33 years? You got married in what year, 96? I think so. That's 94. Like I got married in 96, yeah. Yeah, we got married in 94. So that's that's like almost <coughs> high school loves almost. Of course, eighteen man. That that that's that's serious. Relationships are no joke, man. Yeah, we Especially started being in a band. No man, we started hanging out when we were recording Surf Nicaragua. It's funny. It was Sandy, my wife Sandy was uh, best. Shout friends. out to Sandy, man. I love her, and uh, she was best friends with Gloria's daughter Christina. Got you. So she was always at the house. I would be at their house, and it's and. Christina's younger brother, Dana, who passed away, yes. was best friends with Sandy's little brother, Brandon. So Christina and Sandy always had to bring Brandon and Dana to all the shows gotcha. as, as little punky kids. <laughs> Back then. Yeah, drag them around. So, How yeah. old are your kids now, your kids? My oldest son, Zach, is 30. And then uh, wow. my son, Shane, is 28. Leo is 21. And my daughter is 19. So four kids. Yeah, four kids. Bro, that's insane. It's a lot. Are they all at home? Or is, I mean, they're all three of them. Three of them are right. at home. That's amazing. Stay you know, and sometimes my wife's like, Jesus Christ, get the fuck out, you know? But then you're like, oh, I'm going to stay for, I don't know. That well, the thing is, is they are going to get out eventually. Yes. So just enjoy it now. That's what I told my son. Yeah. You're not paying for shit. Go do as much as you can. Save yeah. up money. He's working. Like, it's yeah. Just like, but I want them... We're going to have that bond forever, but just that empty nest syndrome, like, damn, should have had another kid. Like, I don't know, he's 20 now, he's living at home. You know, it's like he, we have such a tight bond, which would never go away, but I love him being here, and I can, you know, it's safe and all that. But yeah. you have four kids, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. What 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 an amazing woman to, like, hold you down during yeah, all man. that as a touring she, musician. You know, she always held it down. She was, she, uh, she was looking, she, she was looking for a job, and her dad said, why don't you go down to the union? They'll 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 hire you right on because you're a girl. So she went down to the plumber pipe fitter union, local four six nine, started as a jobber and worked her way through and was like a journey. Like she did four years in the apprenticeship, <clears throat> so she was just about to turn out and be a journeyman pipe fitter, and she was like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore because like being a pretty girl on a construction site. She was gonna be a pipe fitter. That's so <laughs> yeah. fucking dope. And so she welds and can do all that stuff. She repiped. Our friend's house. So she more handy than you are? Oh, f- I am the least handy person <laughs> you've don't. ever met. When we got married, somebody bought it, bought us a do-it-herself toolkit. I'm like, because they knew. Yeah, oh, I'm, my God. She's like, I get out of the fucking Does way. Does she teach you things, though? You learn something? I can't learn that stuff. But they make stuff. you feel like you want to step up more because she can kill shit like No, that? I just help her. Okay. She, I'm, her I'm her assistant. Like, we had this pool fence, and <laughs> one, of the, one of the bars broke off, and her friend's husband had a welder, you know, so she got her welding helmet on. She's like, hold this. Wow. She hold this right here while she's welding it back on and stuff. Badass, man. She's badass. She is. And then she was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And she quit. And she went to nursing school and became like a fucking badass ICU trauma nurse. Oh, my gosh. She's awesome. And she, you know, she would work two jobs because I'm in, you know, like, 
I'm a fucking uneducated <laughs> high school dropout. Musicians, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, she's the rock that our family's built on, you know. Our wives like let us be big kids and go out and play this music with no responsibility and follow our dreams and come yeah. home and all that shit was so we, lucky. We don't man. deserve it. It's re- it's really is about the woman behind the man. I mean, especially for musicians that like especially have a tight relationship and there's trust and there's that that bond, you know, yeah, through because, everything. Because I, you know, Sandy would tell me we would go on tour, especially when we were younger, you know, and uh, Sandy's super hot in her 20s, you know, and she'd be at parties and dude's like, hey man, what's going on? She's like, I had a boyfriend. He's like, yeah, where's your boyfriend? Well, he's in a band, he's on tour. Yeah, what do you think he's doing? Oh, you know, yeah, and they dude. get that shit all the time, you know. That stereotype of rock and roll. Yeah, you know, and, and like, man, I, I know people that got into music for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Same. You know, and I go, I... That wasn't me. Like I, I would blow girls off because I, I, I was like so focused. You know, my like, girls are just gonna want your time. Girls are gonna want attention. I'm already working and going to school and being in a band. I got enough. Yeah, yeah. I didn't need any distractions. I was r- incredibly focused on, like. When I joined the band, I was like, "Hey, man, you're playing that song wrong." And you know, we're doing a cover of "Bonded by Blood" by Exodus. I'm like, "Hey, come on, yeah, this is how it you're goes." You're serious about, it. yeah? And we would practice for three hours, and we only had thirty minutes worth of music. And if any, <laughs> and if anybody made a mistake, I'd be like, "Stop from the top." Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was like drilling. You were on it. Yeah, man. Fuck. So yeah, girls weren't really part of the equation back then, and I, it was fine. It, I, you know, the music thing. I was talking to Andreas from Sepultura when we were on tour in Europe, and I said, yeah, if, if you really stop and think about it, if we really knew what we were getting ourselves into, we probably wouldn't have done it because mm. it's too hard. The chances are too long. It's What are the odds? Yeah. You know? But we didn't know any better, and we were just going for it because, it, like, you had to. Mm-hmm, you don't then. really have a choice. Yeah, man. You know, like, it gets in you. Yeah. And, like, you know, lyrically, I'm like, man, we, I got fucking something to say. Whether I did or not, at least I thought I did at the time. Yeah. You know? And I was like, this is fucking important shit, and people need to hear this, and we need to be the vehicle. And, the you know, of course. The, the lyrics are the nail, and the music is the hammer. Agreed, man. You know? And we're going to fucking get out there and tell people the fucking truth and tell them to we'll fucking wake up and pay attention. It's up to us together, you know? We always about the lyrics? Yeah, the always. Too. Yeah, man. Always, same, man. man. That's why, you know, like, you know, I love Slayer and I love Metallica and I love Iron Maiden and Scorpions, but, you know, like, when I started hearing, like, Corrosion and, like, old DRI and MDC was, like, Ooh, a big one for me, Ahead of man. their time with everything, man. Yeah, MDC was a huge lyrical influence, and, and Corrosion incredible. especially, you know? So that kind of stuff, I was like, all right, this is my stuff. Do a multi, uh, corporate death burger, Ronald McDonald. Yeah. That shit they were singing about back then. Yeah, John man. Wayne, just everything. John Wayne was a Nazi, fuck. I know, just everything. My family's a little weird. My family's just a little weird. Your family's just a little weird. Yeah, yeah. daddy wears a dress and mommy grows a beard. You know, like, he was like, everything dude he goes i don't understand if i'm a woman or a man and like you know dave's book dave dictor from it's i need to read it it's so great and he talks about cross-dressing in there and he goes and i was never bisexual or anything i just like to wear women's clothes damn and i was like fuck i remember getting busted at 18 like all those intros yeah Dude, we listen. Me and Derek still listen to him all the time. Yeah, giving car. me chills right now. Yeah. I remember. Burn. Yeah, yeah, man. But nobody was singing about shit like that back yeah. then. My the the night I was supposed to graduate high school, they played in Phoenix, and I was hanging out with those guys. Oh, you went? 
Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. I was hanging out. My friend Zach was a promoter of the show, so they were at Zach's house, and I was hanging out with them. Wow. And I remember Dave Dichter going, what's the name of your band? I go, Sacred Reich. And he was on the phone with someone. He goes, we're hanging out with big bands like Sacred Reich. And I'm like, we're a big band? And he's like, I go, I think we sold 10,000 records. He goes, dude, that's a lot. I'm like, okay, it's all relative. You know? Yeah. Like 10,000 records to me wasn't a lot, you know, but. Back, yeah. You know, so it's all relative. I feel like MDC doesn't get their, their just due. Like, I feel like they're like, not underrated, but they, they were such a, a big part. Them and Dead Kennedys, the stuff they were singing about back then was just stuff. That's when I first learned about politics and different things yeah. I, I didn't really know about, like, way ahead of the time. And shit's still happening now that they've been talking about, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, things don't really change, do they? No, I guess not. The more things change, the more they say the same. Well, I mean, yeah. it, the human condition is a human condition, right? Mm-hmm. In Buddhist terms, it's samsara, right? Cyclic existence. And, you know, uh, reconciling all that stuff, reconciling the most incredible, beautiful, wonderful things that could ever happen also come wrapped up with the most horrible, terrible, heartbreaking shit you can imagine. And it all comes together. It's all wrapped together. This is our life, you know? You can't have one without the other. That's interesting. What what, what was your inspiration to come back and make a record? That the songs came. Have you guys been talking for years? You guys all stayed in touch with friends? I mean, we started playing shows again in 2007. Okay. So we just played shows. We started going to Europe and playing festivals. Start making music, and, yeah. Yeah, we just started jamming. And everyone was like, are you going to make a record? I'm like, no, man, we don't have any songs, you know? And Wait I tried. Yeah. And I tried, and it just you know, it wasn't happening. It. Yeah. And, and then one day, it just started coming back. I was like, oh, cool. Well, I guess we're going to go make a record. Awesome. But years later, it came back. Like, yeah, you've you been touring the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, Such it took 12 years. Yeah, start writing stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? It comes when it comes, right? (laughs) Our last four records have been eight years apart. Yeah. And now, like, on the eighth or ninth year right now, I'm like, I'm not, if I'm ready, like, I have to get inspired and stuff like that, too. Like, because some bands would just be like a machine, like, every year, tour cycle, new merch, new artwork, new album, and just pushing them out like a machine. And I just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. But we would never, I was never like that. We weren't banging out for how long we've been together. We have not many records, you know? It's like, same. It's, yeah, some people can do it. I just don't want to force it and just make the same record over and over again. It's yeah. the same. Just just to like go out there and tour because that's what you had to do. And and I remember looking at Sepultura and I think they have like 15, 16 records out. I'm like, it's incredible that someone can write 15 or 16 records. Have that in them. Have all yes, the, all the, yeah. it's amazing. I can't even understand it. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I can't do that. I'm with you, man. It takes time. Like, I wish I was that creative. I'm not. Yeah. So I'm always amazed when bands can do that. And it's it's incredible. I, I'm i I'm in awe of that. So what was what has been your job leading up to the new record that came out? Like, what have you been doing? If it, are, you work, are you working at home? And Well, I was managing a restaurant for about six years. And then we had a transportation company, like a sedan company. You had it. Yeah, my dad had it, oh, and, I, wow. and I worked with him. We did a lot of stuff with American Express people, and then uh, I was looking for another job. And this is a funny story because I was talking with Greg, our old drummer, and he was talking about uh, his son Beck is jamming with this other kid, and his dad runs a machine shop, and. You know, he was hoping his son would get a job with him. And I was like, oh, I need a job. I go, you got his <laughs> number? So I called him and I started working at this machine shop. I don't know what the fuck to do about machine shops, but he gave me like an entry level job just doing 
mindless shit that made me want to kill myself work. Anyhow, that's beside the point. <clears throat> so his name's Tim. Tim Radzewell. And we start working together, and he's a huge Sacred Reich fan. Oh. And uh, he said, you know, I told him that we were working on songs and writing, and uh, um, we wound up splitting with Greg. Okay. And that's how I met Tim. And Tim goes, it, it's cool. Don't. It's not going to change anything between us. I'm like, cool. And then I talked with Dave, our old drummer who was in Machine Head, and I said, hey, you know, Greg's not in the band anymore. And Dave's like, I want to do it. Wow. I want to record the record and tour. And I was like, really? Like the same day. Because we were like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I yeah. don't know. We'll see. I go, well, let me call Dave. Damn. And, but he was still a Machine Head, and they just dropped a record, and they were going to be touring for the next year. I'm like, we waited 23 years. We waited this long. But, you know, we can wait another year. Yeah. So we started demoing stuff. And Tim said, hey, you know, I play drums and my son Joey plays guitar. And we have like a little studio. If you need help recording demo, we can help you out. I go, that would be great. So we did all the demos for Awakening. And Tim played drums on them while Dave was on tour. And Joey played guitar and recorded everything. So, uh... When it came time to go record, <clears throat> um, it was obvious that Jason wasn't going to be able to do Well, like, we were up to the first day in the studio. Yeah. And Jason just wasn't up for it, like, physically, mentally. It was obvious that it wasn't going to work. And everyone's like, what are we going to do? We're in the studio. Yeah. And I said, don't worry. We have Joey. He already recorded all these songs. Okay. He knows every song more than we do. He's already recorded. Because initially we recorded some of this stuff in a different key. And I said, ah, we're changing it back. We had to go re-record everything. Wow. He's already recorded everything. And he's a whiz. Mm -hmm. So Joey's in there and we're recording. And we said, ah, you know, Joey's 23. Like, you don't want to be in a band with a bunch of 50-year-old dudes. We'll make the record. We'll help you find your own band and blah, blah, blah. About three, four days in, I'm like, what are we doing? Our guitar player's in there destroying it and killing it and <laughs> yeah. recording our record. Yeah. We said, hey, Joey, you know, you want to join the band? And Tim, his dad was there. And it, it was just like. Oh, man. Yeah. Like it, Tim, awesome. Tim and Kirsten are huge Sacred Reich fans. And Kirsten was at a Sacred Reich show pregnant with Joey. She goes, yeah. And your wife, Sandy, came up and put her hands on her baby. I'm like, it was foretold. That is crazy, man. Yeah. So, so yeah. He's in the band. He's Joey's in the band. Killing it. Killing it. His dad's so psyched. <clears throat> Super psyched. And, and uh, Tim actually came with us to Mexico and played a show. Dave was still not able, you know, Dave was still out with Machine Head, and we did a show in Mexico. And we said, Tim. So Tim played a show with us, got to go Dude, to Mexico with us. That's it's, awesome. And they're man. like the nicest people you ever it's met. Ever. Too, yeah. Oh, yeah. Joey's like the greatest, the easiest. He's really revolutionized how we record and demo stuff and it's just been really wonderful. It brings a great energy. I was going to say new young energy to yeah, the Yeah, man. Yeah. And he just always got a smile on his face. and Appreciates it. Yeah. And just, you know, you go, you go. what do you think, Joe? He goes, I love you guys. That's always his <laughs> response. Because he's a fan, too. It's yeah, like, man. Do we live yeah. up to all that? And, and he and he likes the old music. And uh -huh. he's used to hanging out with his dad and his dad's friends. So he's used to being around a bunch of old farts like us. Mm -hmm. You know? And he's not like a big party. He likes to smoke weed like the rest of us. And he fits right in. I go, uh, we couldn't have. It's perfect. Yeah. And the same with Dave. Like Dave was already in our band. Mm -hmm. We know Dave's a great drummer. We know Dave's a great guy. Because when you're adding someone to your band, it's not just can you play. It's like, can you hang out? 
Yeah, it's more, it's more than just the playing. Yeah. Personality, getting yeah. along with everybody. It's and, really important. You need to have a good attitude. Especially traveling and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, sometimes if you don't have a good attitude, it just affects everybody. You can no be the best player, but you can be an asshole. Like, yeah. They want you. And no one wants to be around that. Nah. Yeah. So it's really important. We got really lucky. So were you, uh, were you ever a big partier? Uh, I don't, uh, I guess, uh, but I like, I was never like a big drinker, Yeah. but I like to do acid okay. and like mushrooms and stuff. All right. So that was kind of like back then or just, yeah, yeah back then we smoked tons of weed. We just always smoked tons of weed. We were never like a big drinking band. Yeah. So just smoke no tons crazy of crazy hard drugs. And shit. <clears throat> no, no. I think those guys were like doing cocaine and some crystal meth for a while. Damn. And I never liked that shit. You know, yeah. it, was, it was not for me. But I think those guys had a little phase yeah. that they went through. and uh, But mostly acid and shrooms. I liked mind-expanding stuff, like, mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah. You know, my kids go, what are the best drugs, Dad? And I go, weed, acid, mushrooms. <laughs> and they're like, really? I go, yeah. I go, stay away from that other shit. I go, but even even acid and mushrooms. I go, there's a benefit for mind expansion. and People do the microdosing now. Everybody's or, talking about or that. Or changing your perception. It's great for that. But there's a point where you've extracted all the lessons that you're going to get. Yeah. And then you need to move on because you can't sit around and do drugs like that all the time. No. <laughs> no. And people are microdosing and doing all yeah. that stuff. And I'm like, you know, the other day we were on tour and the guy's like, hey, you want some mushrooms? You know, everybody had mushrooms. We were up in Mount Shasta, California for a day off. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's not for me anymore. Yeah. You know, there's a movie and it's about, uh, it's uh, what the fuck's his name? Uh, the, uh, Timothy Leary. Yeah. And Ram Dass. They were the ones leading the LSD experiments at Harvard. Okay. Okay. So... It was all graduate students, and they were doing research on LSD, which was legal at the time. And uh, like Ram Dass was like, the drugs are great, but the drugs wear off. And I'm looking for something that lasts longer. So he wound up leaving and going to India. Okay. You know, and becoming one of the first Western guys to really bring back Eastern philosophy, Hinduism, Buddhism. Interesting. But Timothy Leary stayed and kept doing the drug thing and got in some trouble. But the movie was really interesting to see their divergent stories. And I, f I feel the same. Like, okay, the drugs are great, but what happens when the drugs wear off? Yeah. You know, if you're looking for a change of perception or what the truth is or, you know, you got to look for something past that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So how is it getting back on? How is it? How do you feel now playing those songs and touring at the age you're at now? It's great, man. Yeah, I'm fortunate. I feel f very lucky. Like the other day, we were hanging around. And I was talking to Joey. I go, the the fact that we do this is preposterous. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, how many years? Yeah. Everything. Well, just the fact that I I think about the four of us starting in Greg's bedroom, and like us four knuckleheads. Yeah. I mean, we're idiots. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. And we made a record and we put it out and somehow people liked it and we made another record and we started touring and mm -hmm. somehow here we are all these years later and we have the best life you could ever fucking imagine doing the greatest thing you could ever do playing music and traveling around the world. And it's still four knuckleheads. Yeah. And beautiful, man. It's like Incredible. when I really stop and think about the odds, the chances, the fact that we're still able to do it and that we're lucky enough to have wonderful fans that will support our band. Wait, almost 20 years for a new record and that record crashed. Yeah, I just, 
it's when you really stop and think about it, it just doesn't really seem like it should be possible. Mm. And somehow it is. And we're just really fucking lucky. Did you have expectations for the last record? Then when it started zero, charting, you're like, what zero, zero. I have zero expectations for anything. Okay. And it's easier that way. Yeah. Because you just, you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, that must have felt so nice coming back that from that long, and then that record just. Well, we were just excited that we got to make a record, yeah. and the process of making the record was mm-hmm. incredible. It was really like a beautiful experience, and very natural, and really easy. Not forced. It just yeah. Yeah, everything. Just, I remember there was. Uh, we were recording, and I had sang every song. We had one song left, and I didn't have the lyrics for it yet. Uh-huh. And I had to do it the next day. And I remember not being stressed out at all and going home. And I sat down, and I fucking, it just came out. And I was yeah. like, wow. And those are like my favorite lyrics from Manifest Reality. And it just sounds like my teacher talking, you know? And I was <laughs> like, it just came out. And all I really did was just change, put, you know, change the order of one verse. Gotcha. It just came out exactly like it was. Damn. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, when things, are, you know, there's this guy, um, Joseph Campbell. He had a series on PBS called uh, Joseph Campbell and the Power of Myth with Bill Moyers. And he said the Native Americans have a thing called the pollen path. And he goes, when you're on the pollen path, you know, he goes, beauty to the left of me, beauty to the right of me, beauty above me, beauty below me, beauty before me, beauty behind me. I'm on the pollen path. Mm. Because somehow you kind of know when you're in the right spot, you know, somewhere inside of you interesting if you listen it's quiet yeah are you a spiritual guy i think so i think so when i split up with my wife and i was 30 and i was at a crossroads you know and i remember uh my wife was up in colorado working and the kids were up with her um and it was around christmas time and i was dating this girl and she had just cheated on me with my best friend and uh and I was like, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. This is not where I want to be in my life. I go, well, you did it, asshole. <laughs> every thought, every action, everything you've done has led you to this point. Mm. And if you don't like it, you have to change your actions. And so the idea of karma really became real and concrete to me. Okay. And um, I would always pass this Buddhist place driving every day. And I said, fuck, let me just go there. And I started going there. And then it led me to a, another, another place. Uh, it was in your thirties. Yeah, and, uh, and there was this part in the religious section of the newspaper, and it said Zachoji Rinpoche is going to speak about his recent trip to India. And I had a date night with Sandy. We were back at that point, and I said, I don't know. I saw a picture of this guy. I think I need to go see him. She goes, Yeah, go for it. Wow. So I met him that night, and he's been my teacher ever since. So that's 23 years. That's incredible, man. Yeah, he, his wow. story is incredible. He's Tibetan Buddhist, and he's like fifth reincarnated as Zachary Rinpoche and like all this stuff. And uh, like he wound up in Phoenix. It's, he he was he was leaving the monastery, and the Dalai Lama asked him to um, lead this tour called the Mystical Arts of Tibet. Like the Richard Gere Foundation sponsors it, and they they travel around the country and. And it's like arts and performance and song, and they do Sam Mandala. And they were, he came to Phoenix and he felt a connection and wound up staying. A, cool. a, a very high llama. And the yeah. other thing with him is he's, he's about a year older than me. And he was going to school 
like to be a teacher. Usually you find these kids early and they go in the monastery yeah. when they're like five years old. Well, he was like 16. Mm. And he said his father came and the kids were like, your dad's here. He's like, my dad's here. It's like a 20 hour train ride from where we live. And he had a letter from the Dalai Lama saying, you've been found to be the fifth reincarnate of Zachojin Rinpoche. And then he goes to Dharamsala and the Dalai Lama gives them, you know, initiation rites. He goes in the monastery. So it turns out like his previous died in a Chinese prison camp. Like when they invaded Tibet in 1959, they imprisoned him and no one knew what happened. And then they found out that he died. They do a divination. It's all the stuff that people probably are like, think is like hocus pocus stuff. But, um, they found him and he goes, you know, I went 16 years as a regular boy. And the next thing I go, do you remember your past life from Pache? He goes, I don't really remember what I ate for lunch. He goes, but maybe there's something to it because mm. normally in the monastery it's 20 years. And he goes, and I learned all these difficult concepts in 10 years. So maybe there's something to it. Wow. And, uh, so they, he had a senior attendant, like, you know, the high lamas have attendant monks that help them. And, uh, when they told him that they had found the, the news that showed you, the first question, his senior attendant was like 87 years old. He goes, is he tall? And they go, as a matter of fact, he is. You know, why do you ask? He said, well, when we, he was in the prison camp with him. He goes, when we were in jail together, we would always pray that when we came back to be reincarnated, we would come back tall. <laughs> so Rinpoche is like 6'2", six 6'3", six oh, yeah, which is, you know, out of the ordinary. Wow, man. It's, it's just really funny. And that totally changed your life. Yeah, man. Anything. Yeah, it's been the biggest change and made me a much better person. It made me the husband I need to be and the father I need to be. I mean, we're all a work in progress. Yes. And, but, yeah, it's been the greatest uh, the greatest thing from my life personally. And did it change you all as a musician too in traveling and just making music too? Well, I think it just changes who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. You know, it changes how you look at things, your level of appreciation, your level of gratitude, your level of understanding, the not judging, accepting things as they are. Because I think I ultimately, you know, there was one teacher that said, you know, people always say this isn't the way things are supposed to be. And he would say, well, if it's not supposed to be this way, it wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. So I think the most important thing is just to accept things as they are, because if not, we're constantly disappointed. We're constantly fighting things off. We're constantly upset. You know, it's like we have an idea of how the way the world is supposed to be in our mind. And when mm -hmm. it doesn't match that, we get upset. And like when you stop and think, you go, who the fuck are we to tell the world how it's supposed to be? True. It's not up to us. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't judge and we shouldn't do any of these things. We should just accept things as they are. And it just makes our life a lot easier. You might like it, you might yeah. not like it, but that's just your discriminating mind. Mm. You know, it's our discriminating mind that creates our suffering, our attachment to things, our misunderstanding of how things are. I mean, we do it. We're, we are the impediment to our own happiness. Yeah. So if we can unlearn those things and get back to our real natural self, because our, our true natural self is like pure light and connection and yeah. All these things. that It's all the same. There's no you. There's no me. It's just merely an illusion. There's mm -hmm. no self. There's no other. You know, like there's a teaching called the Heart Sutra. No eye, no ear, no nose, no... I mean, everything is just projections and reflections and nothing exists from its own side. Rinpoche said once, we always say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. He goes, we don't even think about what that means. 
If beauty is in the eye of the beholder, that means beauty doesn't exist from its own side. It's our projection. So yeah. whether we think things are good or bad or whatever judgments we make, it's from us. True. So if we understand that those things don't really exist, there is no self, there is no other, and that if we learn to, there's a line in manifest reality, you know, putting others before ourselves, there's no limit to who we help. Yeah. If we do things for ourselves, we're limited to one person. If we do things for everybody else, there's no limit to what we can do. Yeah. You know, there was another teacher who said, you know, when someone says something to you, never say anything back. You know, if something says something to you mean or cutting, don't say anything back. Only pride wants to protect itself. Because, in fact, give the victory to others. Mm. Give the victory to others. What's the point? Yeah. What are we trying to do? Convince people we're right. Convince people they're wrong. Convince people that they should see things our way. Whatever, man. Does it fucking matter? No, it doesn't. <laughs> I love that. This, Especially now in this day and age, especially coming out of what we just went through, the internet, all that, just like with the judgmental. and Oh, yeah, and the political and climate. And it's man. just everything is ramped up and just, just so tense and angry. And it's like... Uh, Magnified by it. 20 million on the in, on social media yeah. magnified and perspective for people and just everything there that's it's easy to get caught up into it and i'm i'm guilty too same and, you know i remember i just heard a, someone say you know you may disagree they said they were talking about donald trump and they said you might not like him and you may disagree and you might not want someone like that in your life but don't kick him out of your heart still have compassion and understand. So on one respect, you can look at him and say, look, man, that's not a... I, growing up in New York, we know all we need to know about Trump from a long Facts. time ago. Yes. But uh, when I see him, too, from a Buddhist perspective, you can see the suffering. Mm -hmm. Because the only... Why would someone lie constantly? It's because they don't feel like they're worthy enough or acceptable enough as they are. So they're always making up stories to make themselves feel better about themselves because they're already at a deficit, mm. you know? That so, so you, it's easier to have compassion for people. Like I have compassion for him as a human. I don't want him in charge of anything because he, he lives through a different kind of way Yeah, and the truth isn't important and who he hurts isn't important. And those things are not people that people in charge should be uh, acting through. Yeah. But as a human, you could just see the suffering. I mean, anyone that would paint their face orange and not accept themselves as they are is, is a problem. Man. Mm -hmm. Deep, deep psychological, you know, stuff yeah. from how he was raised. And, you know, I think when you become a parent, right, you yes. see your parents in a different way, right? 100%. Way more. Yeah, like way more respect too, man. Yeah, and like as regular people, not super, super people. Yeah. You know, just trying to Humans. do their best that they can with however they were raised and what they brought and what their parents, you know, you just yeah. see the the thing and we just keep trying to do better. So I think if we look at everybody like that, like cut, cut people slack, man. Give people a break. Mm -hmm. You know, and I always tell people, give yourself a break too, man. You would give other people a break. Yeah. Give yourself a break too. People are really hard on themselves. They really are, man. I feel like even now with social media, people are hard on themselves. Of course. Look at all these girls that are getting all this plastic surgery. They see, like, there was this one girl, I think her, her Anela Sangra. She's like this fitness girl from uh, Colombia, like gorgeous, fit, you know, whatever. And I saw a picture of her recently. I'm like, Wow, man, she had plastic surgery on her face. I'm like, if someone like her 
feels the pressure yeah. and the need to change themselves to be more acceptable or more pretty or more whatever society deems, you know, like what chance do regular people have? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's important to tell your kids like, and beauty fades all this stuff is superficial stuff and who you are really matters and how you treat so people true. and your kindness and compassion will really define you and how you make people feel and not yeah. getting caught up in all the superficial things that are transitory and don't matter and what's really important in our lives this mm-hmm. is the most important thing as a parent right it is man what's really important i can't imagine the pressure of young kids just with all the different even just young girls yeah and- Teenage boys is everything. All people like with the social media and how you're supposed to look and act and be successful and be famous and fit in and this all these things. It was just like that's all they know is our kids only know social media. That's what they grew up in. We didn't have that growing. We were outside. We were skating. Yeah. We were surfing. We yeah. were going to shows. We were fucking in the streets and like so I'm so lucky to have had that that being that time in my life. Yeah, and it's interesting because the kids today they don't know any better because they, they go they go like how were you touring without cell phones and yeah. and Google Maps and all this stuff like we didn't know any better and the kids today don't know any better. This is their experience and their kids are gonna be like how'd you do that without teleporting, Dad? You know whatever the future mm-hmm. holds. You know, or just putting a flyer on the internet and then people know where you're playing. Yeah. So it's like passing out flyers. Or just, things are easier and things are worse and things are better and things are worse. And, you know, it, yeah. the, the general thing doesn't change. The circumstances around things may change, but our human condition doesn't change. Our jealousies, our wants, our desires, our getting caught up in stuff. They're just Maybe. bombarded with more, yeah. more advertising, more stuff, more overstimulation, you know, but not everybody. Mm hmm. You know, if you stand around looking at your phone, that's going to be the thing. But you can put it down. It's just that easy, too. I know. And life is so, life is so, like, just having a conversation you face-to-face. Like, I, that's what I love about the pod. I just shut my phone, put it away, have conversations. Like, there's, there's such a need for that, especially coming out of the pandemic, just all that. How, like, yeah. but I feel like the phones, in a positive way, during the pandemic, connected a lot of people, man, yeah. around the world, going through the same stuff. Yeah. All, all locked down together and that was kind of a beautiful thing where people could actually you could see what's going on in the places you know what i mean and uh and brought people together but there's a deep dark dark hole on there too you just get caught up in and just well, like you know i don't think i i believe this it's not the technology mm. it's the people that are using true it. it's not religion it's the people that abuse it it's not mm. government it's the people that abuse it the idea of government is to help the people and to make people's lives easier. If it didn't yeah. turn into that and it turned into something else, well, that's our fault. Mm-hmm. You know, the technology is there. All the all the information of our entire, you know, human existence is right there. And people want to look at cat pictures. Whose fault is that? Yeah. I mean, so it's true. It's just us. Mm. It's always us. It's nothing else. You know, people go, oh, you know, they, people take a picture of all the kids looking at their phones. And they go, you look at pictures in the 20s and 30s. All the guys are waiting for the train looking at the newspaper. Great point. It, it's always the same. And it's mm. just the people. It's not the technology. It's not the thing. It's us. It's about it's, using or not using or how you use it's it. It's up to us. Yeah. And, and look, man, uh, I remember when Ronald Reagan came into power and he tried to eradicate the Department of Education. They wouldn't let him. So mm-hmm. he said, oh, if I can't get rid of it, how about I just defund it? Wow. You know, so they started defunding education because the people who are in charge know that if people aren't educated, it's easier to take advantage. Mm -hmm. Look, we know that the people in charge of things 
their only goal is to stay in charge and they yeah. do a lot of time and resources into maintaining that kind of power yeah and in a myriad of ways so our goal is to educate ourselves and to understand how things work and i don't know what the answer is to all of this i don't think you can fix all of it it's mm-hmm. it's all we can do is do our best right in our little corner of the world you know dalai lama always would say if you can't make things better at least don't make things worse. So at the very least, yeah. if we cannot make things worse, okay. And if we can try to do a little better, Mother Teresa said, we cannot do great things, only small things with great love. And I'm like, I love that. I do too. Right? In our little corner of the world, what do we try to do? Treat people with respect, treat people with appreciation, treat people with kindness. At a show, you know, to the crew, yeah. at, at the truck stop, Wherever yeah. you are, just to smile and look at people in the eye and say thank you, you know, mm-hmm. and just recognize everybody because it takes everybody. Yeah. If the garbage men didn't show up tomorrow, it would be our society would be a lot worse off than if the lawyers didn't show up tomorrow. But True. the lawyers make 5,000 times what those guys make. Yeah. You know, if, if you know, everybody's job is important and everybody's contribution is important, no matter how big or how small, because it takes all of us ultimately together. Yeah. And there's a lot of devaluation of people like, you know, how many you live in Los Angeles. I mean, how many unhoused people are there and, and people blame them. A lot. Man. People want to blame them, too. If you didn't do this and you didn't do that. Like, it's it's not about blame. It's about what can we do to help? Because mm-hmm. our society should be judged on the lowest of the low, not the highest of the high. Yeah. And when there's 86 people you know, in the world that owned as much as the bottom 50% of the entire population on the planet, it's, it's immoral. Mm. And what? yeah, you do a lot of reading and you've always followed politics. And yeah, since, since I was 16. Wow. Yeah. Like it was a big deal. I read a book in high school called the high school revolutionaries. I can't even believe they had it in my high school library. Wow. And it kind of activated me, you know, Okay, but you know, I Question remember things, look into yeah. things your whole life. And I, I mean, dude, uh, I, you know, I was, I wrote death squad when I was like 16 about, <laughs> you know, right wing death squads in El Salvador. And yeah, man. So, um, that's crazy. Yeah, You're 16. Yeah. Who came up with the name sacred Reich? Uh, Jason our guitar player. Okay. I, I don't even know. I, th- I don't even know how the whole thing evolved. <laughs> I'm a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn, and I joined the band, and like my my Uncle Sam was in uh, Dachau and had numbers on his arm, oh my God. and my grandmother's mom and two of her sisters were murdered. They didn't make it over there from Poland. They didn't make it over, and they were killed by the Nazis. So I joined the band. I was like, ah, dude, I can't be in a band called Sacred Reich. I just, my grandma would be like, what's the name of your band, honey? I'm like, ah, I don't know. We're working on it, grandma. <laughs> and then- uh, we were about to change it to Animosity after my favorite uh, Corrosion record. Mm. And then uh, we got a record deal. And Metal Blade was like, we like the name. So wow. that was that. And I was like, fuck, man. Has it bothered you or no? It always bothers me. Okay. But it's at this Did point. people thought it was something like that? No, nah, man. People, no, nah, not really. I, I remember when we did uh, Surf Nicaragua. There's a song called One Nation. And the opening line is a vision of unselfishness. A union of black and white, one nation of all races, it's clear within my sight. You know, I see it clear, no hate, no fear, no soldiers sent to die, a state that's free and thrives on peace, no greed, no threat to life. And then that's I got incredible. a and then I got a letter from some skinhead going, Fuck you, fuck your band, I broke your record, I burned your shirt, what some Jews scare you, fuck you. Ah. And I thought, 
Yeah, I don't want a fucking asshole like you liking our band. Anyway, and it, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think for the most part, people didn't get the wrong idea. Yeah. I remember we played in uh, Omaha, Nebraska 100 years ago, <laughs> and uh, the promoter guy said, the cops came to his house and said, are you holding a skinhead rally? <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Is that my phone? Yeah, my phone's off. Oh, it's. I think it's mine. <laughs> my is, phone's off too. That's isn't that weird? Yeah, my phone's off too. They said they said you're holding a water skinhead rally. Well, they asked the promoter because it said Cause so. Name. We were playing at this place called Sokol Auditorium, Soka Polka Hall, and Pickle Parlor. <laughs> so it says like Math Sladsky and the Bouncing Checks, Ernie Cusera. Sacred Reich, and I used to have a picture of the marquee. Wow, it was a bunch of polka bands, and then we were then Sacred Reich, and they were like Sacred Reich. Yeah. Hey man, you're holding the skinhead rally? They're like, nah, man, it's cool. It's okay. At least they were concerned. Yeah, in Nebraska, you yeah, would some towns be cool. You would think they'd just show up at fucking goose step, but you never know. Did you have skinheads at your shows back then? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I remember. Such a wild time. Back yeah, then. well, yeah, I mean, we had an issue with the channel. In Boston. Boston. Yeah, that remember that night? It was fucking on that tour, right? Yeah, man. I remember there was a lot of crazy kind of We were playing shows. and like three skinheads were beating up some long haired kid and I stopped the show and I'm like fucking let him go. Let him go. And there one kid was sitting in the crowd like, Fuck you and I was like and Wiley goes, Dude, don't jump in the crowd. I know you're gonna don't. I was gonna go after the dude. And uh, after the show Wiley, our guitar player, and Scott was his guitar tech. They went out in the crowd to try to find those guys, but it was so packed they couldn't move. So they waited till after the show, and they waited by the front door to find them. Damn. And uh, and I sent Tim, who was Jason's guitar tech. I go, keep an eye on those guys. They're up to no good, Wiley and Scott. And they followed these guys out to the car, the guys who were starting the shit. And Scott Drill goes, you got a fucking problem? And then Tim... Tim was standing behind him and knocked the other dude out. Holy shit. Like, just hit him right in the forehead and dropped him. And the other dude ran. And uh, next thing you know, this girl goes, man, you guys might want to take off. And they look up, and there's, like, 20 skinheads running top speed to get them. Oh, shit. And there was, a, like, a 12-foot-high fence. So they had to kind of run at the dude's. And then through the hole in the fence to get back to the bus. It's like a warrior. Like the warriors. Yes, and they're <laughs> running, and I see it. And I ran in the club. I go, let's go. They're being chased. And next thing I know, everybody's coming out of the buses and the club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those guys were. That's scary. Yeah, man. And those guys stopped when they ran into all of us because mm -hmm. it was a fair fight at that point. Yeah. And they stopped. <laughs> and I remember our tour manager, Jim, going. I remember the dude had a big, like, he looked like he had a golf ball in his forehead, man. Oh, he, shit. he was fucked up. And I remember Jim going. See, now you're no better than them. Do you feel better? And Tim goes, yeah, I actually do feel better. Because <laughs> the unfortunate thing about some people is that's all they kind of understand. Mm -hmm. It was like a soundtrack for violence for people coming to shows. They didn't care about the lyrics or the message. They just want to come. Allentown, Allentown, Gnarly. Pennsylvania. The sick of all guys fucking jumped in the crowd and were macing people. Yeah, man. That was a crazy riot, man. It was so crazy back then because there was all these Nazis coming to these shows but all the security with these big black guys. Yeah. And they were, they were sick hollering the bands, but not fucking with the bouncers. It made no sense to me. It's like, what what are you about? Like, who do you hate? What is yeah. your deal? People yeah. like the white power necklaces on and like, 
it was scary, man. It's it was just like, ignorant. It was yeah. just the height of ignorance, just not understanding anything, man. I mean, I mean, how many, how many times Dead Kennedys played Nazi punks fuck off and there were fights during that song? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, were you ever big, big into punk and hardcore too? Would that come later? Or was that not so much? Okay. Like, I was on the fringe. My I had a friend Jeff, and he was super into punk and hardcore, and he would play me Discharge. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, really? And he play like I like GBH. He played me GBH yeah. and all kinds of stuff. And they played me DRI like uh, Dirty Rotten LP. I'm like, yeah. He goes, really? Of all the shit I played for you, this is it. I'm like, yeah. This is the one. So fast, man. This is the one that does it for me. Sort of all that, yeah. Yeah. He played me Misfits and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. I always, I, I the thing I appreciated about punk and hardcore was just more the attitude. Yes. You know, I wanted to play better. You know, I was I was into like I said, MDC corrosion, for lyrical content, of course, and uh, not you know just fucking going for it. But I was always more into the technical side of metal, and I always liked Stevie Wonder and that yeah. other shit, like melody and singing and yeah, yeah. So not really New York hardcore stuff you liked. Yeah, it. and 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 like I appreciate it, but it, the New York hardcore stuff, especially, has a very fucking macho, you know, thing that comes with it. And it was very off-putting for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But Gnostic Front had some crossover. What's that? Gnostic Front had some crossover stuff. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. We played it with Agnostic Front like in 1986 probably. Damn. You know, you know, in Phoenix. Agnostic Front, Aggression. Uh, so we played with Broken Bones, UK Subs. They would put us on punk and hardcore shows, you know? Yeah. So we could play with everyone because we were super into it and super open. You know, we just wanted... Everybody to be cool with everybody. Yeah, New York had a super tough, like the generations before me, like in, like really like street, like yeah, like scary. Yeah, I mean the Agnostic Front guys and the Chromags guys, you know, and you could feel it. You know, you could mm. really feel the intensity and the where it's from. Yeah, and like you but know, Sick of It All had intensity, but they weren't like that, right? And that yeah, was, I yeah. Think it kind of bridged the gap with the other bands that weren't from the hardcore scene. Yeah, not that they were safe. They were still hard. They were still intense. But they weren't like street. They weren't. Yeah, like, they weren't from they weren't the tra- street. Yes, exactly. So like, it, like for me, it was just uh, foreign because I had left when I'm 12. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm a fucking suburban kid from Phoenix. You know, so that kind of energy w- was not like for me. No. I, yeah, it was different. But I appreciate it and I understand it. And you could feel the desperation. This is the same thing about James Brown. I remember seeing the James Brown movie. Uh-huh. And when you see his upbringing and where he was from, you understand why he played like his hair was on fire. Yeah. He never forgot where he came from, and always probably felt like it's. Oh, I'm I'm a turn of a coin away from this going be my back. Last show. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So when you feel that kind of vibe, yeah, you you can understand it and identify and appreciate it. You know, even if it's not your gig. You know? Yeah, yeah. You seem like a mellow, like a more chill person. Yeah, mostly. And love melody, which I like. Yeah, man. Did you have like seven seconds or bands like that? You yeah, had... a lot. All right, yes. I remember. Go. I remember seeing seven seconds, going, "That dude should sing in our band." Really? Yeah, I totally thought that. Like, oh man, I would love to have that guy singing. So that band. kind of hardcore, that melody stuff, like, yeah, Kevin Seconds, my favorite singer. Yeah, me too. What about like, Descendants and stuff like that? I never got into it that okay. much. It's funny, Tony from uh, Municipal Waste—that's his favorite band. Man. What He's about like, Minor Threat? Like uh, yeah, a little bit, you know, like I, I, I just, I was busy doing other stuff and didn't have those influences. I, you know, I got into Fugazi later. Okay, okay. And yeah, and that, obviously it's incredible, you incredible, know, incredible. Man. And a big precursor to a lot of the popular music now that kind of 
100%. even before like the pixies and stuff like that the quiet and the loud and the the dynamic part yeah. what about like quicksand a little bit yeah you got the melodies here. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a melody person too i never like the crazy screaming hard stuff you know yeah I mean? that's why like all the death metal stuff it was i could never get into it i just i like singing i just like singing yeah you know when sacred right came out with that style of, of your style with you more singing was that kind of a breath of fresh air for people for that style of music? I don't, I don't know. Probably was, I think. Yeah. I, you I, guys stood I, out on that tour we did. You know what I mean? Because everything was like more hard, like harder. Yeah. 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 I mean, I remember like going on the bus and having to listen to Depeche Mode to like just kind of decompress. No way. Yeah. Because there was so much, you know, I mean, and every band was different, right? So, so different. sick of it all had that killer energy and that. And then Napalm, I was like, what the fuck is going oh, on? Yeah, yeah like, and Barney's like, cheers, <laughs> cheers. And this next song is called, <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, wow. And then Sepultura, their own style, yeah. Yeah, I always loved Sepultura and Max, you know, with his accent. And even though he had that guttural thing, it just seemed cooler. Yeah. It seemed cool. I always love them, man. So Fucking good. great, man. Wait, did you have any expectations of that tour, or meeting like bands or like sick of it all on the tour, like just coming on that tour? And you remember? Uh, we always like kind of keep to ourselves. Yeah, we've always just like we're not partiers. We're mm -hmm. not. We're not real social. Even on the tour, like we say, hey, you know, I like one-on-one -on -one stuff. Yeah, I don't like to be in groups of people. Mm -hmm. Your whole life been like that. Yeah. Was that? But that was a good tour for you guys. I remember. Yeah, it was great. You know, I, I feel crowd. like yeah. I mean, I think you know, with sick of it all and Napalm sharing a bus, there's a lot of camaraderie that developed there. And we, you know, I was talking to somebody. Were you guys on the bus with Sepultura? No, we had our own bus. Ah, check you out. Oh, yeah, shit, we were on Hollywood Records at that point, okay. so it was Disney. <laughs> Get that tour support. I mean, oh man, we did a tour of Pantera when we were on Hollywood, and it cost us eighty thousand dollars. Oh my god! Just for the tour support. Five weeks, yeah. We were making like five hundred bucks a show, and then a bus with a full crew. Just throwing money at us back then. Fuck though, yeah! Bro. It was yeah, crazy. Just great. Damn, it's a lot. It's in the bus the whole time. Yeah, five hundred bucks a show. Well, wow. you know, we did one van tour, and then the rest was a bus. Well, Gloria was always with us at the time, so Gloria didn't want to be in a van either. So she figured out a way. Mm. to get a bus we'll get sponsors and stuff like that who knows well we would just take a merch advance and put it towards the thing get tour support from the label we just put ourselves in a were hole were you with blue great merch that event no uh no i can't we were with great southern and then somebody else i can't remember mm. blue Damn. grape was more roadrunner okay yeah blue, was yeah a, that was it was a roadrunner that was a, that was company. dude that was the crazy that was the crazy money back then, man. Yeah. All the advances for merchandise, man. Yeah. Before three sixty deals. Well, yeah, before yeah. three sixty yeah. deals. Yeah, that was how that's what got us through all those tours. We weren't making any money. It's crazy. We man. never made any money. Just making money on merch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, not we were I don't even hard. know. I, I I was a good thing I was living at home because <laughs> there But was, if you went in a van, you would have that money from tour support. Yeah. Would have been yeah. brutal. Yeah, we couldn't. We were spoiled. Gloria got us in a bus our second tour. We were fucking spoiled oh, little kids so i joined the band they go that's your bass tech i was like what really dude i joined the band insane. i had a crew guy well you've been grinding for a while before that though so it's like yeah whatever man yeah <laughs> I, we feel pretty fortunate you know we're what, pretty lucky what uh so i know you've been vegan for a couple of years vegan and vegetarian what what inspired that for you because because real quick like all uh a couple of years ago tall's like yo you know sacred reich i'm like 
you know, film. Like, yeah, I toured with him in 1991. I haven't seen him like freaking 30 years. Like, when he comes into the restaurant, I'm like, what? That was such a cool moment. Yeah. Shout out to Tall from Crossroads. Yeah, man. You know what's funny was... Like, how did you get, even walk in this Crossroads? So, before I was vegan or even stopped eating meat, I saw the restaurant and I admired it and it looked incredible and the food looked incredible. And I was like, wow, look at this vegan place just crushing it. You never I was, thought about it. No, I was... A, I, you know, like being Buddhist, I always figured... Uh, there's going to be a point where I'm going to stop eating animals. Mm-hmm. And then when Dave rejoined the band, Dave was vegan. I'm like, fuck it. You know, let's just do it. It's time, you yeah. know? So uh, I was commenting on some of the Crossroads post and they said, hey, you know, uh, our chef's a big fan. I was like, what? I go, we're going to be out there shooting a video. We would love to come by. And they said, hey, you know, let us know we're going to come out. We'll roll out the red carpet for you. I'm like, who am I speaking with? And he goes, hey, this is tall. Wow. And I was like, wow. So we went there, and they gave us that corner baller booth and shit. I love that spot. And they go, yeah, chef wants to see you in the kitchen. And he's like, hey, man, can we take a picture? I was like, what? And then he gave gave me a signed book, and he gave us T-shirts and hats, and then came out and was chilling with us. He might have came to the 91 tour, maybe. Yeah, he goes, that was the first time I saw you guys. He goes, I didn't like any metal bands, but I liked you guys because of your lyrics. Okay, that's so cool. So Dave's like, hey, man, send him a record because our record was done by that point. And I go, hey, you want to hear our new record? And he's like, yeah. And I sent it to him. He goes, can you send me the lyrics? And I was like, sure. And I sent him the lyrics. He loves lyrics. Yeah, man. man. And we were driving back home, and I'm getting like a track by track you know, he's <laughs> Tall's uh, comments on the tracks. So it was obvious he was really into it. And you so know him. Cool. He's so easy to, he's, so he's easy, the, like one of the nicest, coolest, most genuine and generous dudes you'll ever meet. Yeah. So you meet someone like that and you can't help but be best friends right away. You yeah, know? he's the you, best freaking human dude. Yeah, you meet people like that and it's like uh, all of a sudden. Instant, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so you weren't vegan and you just went and checked out the food. Well, by that time, okay, I was. And what, what what was that? Because of the Buddhist? Because of all? Yeah, that I always knew I would. It would eventually happen. Yeah. And then, like when Dave joined back in the band, and he's vegan, yeah. I was like, "Fuck yeah, let's do it." And Is your then, wife vegan too? No, she she tries to be vegetarian. She yeah. still eats meat occasionally, and we do uh, our best. Yeah, and I'm not here to. Make her feel bad. Nah, same. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. you just do what you can. It's not my fucking business whether you eat meat or not. Like, but you felt better when you made that change. Yeah, I, I did it for a lot of health reasons too, okay. and then also like you don't want to be part of the suffering. And now I'm eating cheese and Dave's like you're a fucking hypocrite. Dave's tough, man. <laughs> and well, he was also he drank a couple bottles of wine that night, and he was feeling. <laughs> We it's impossible to be a perfect human, let alone be a perfect vegan. So yeah. at least you're trying, dude. Yeah, man. Like uh, I, and I understand where he's coming from, and uh, I don't take it personally, and it doesn't bother me. And I just knew I'm doing my best, and we're all just trying to do our best. Yeah. And whatever it is, that's what it is. That's exactly what it is. Um, cheese is like the hardest thing for people to stop too. Every single person, like I'm, I'm 99.9. My friend Chappelle, I'm 99.9 percent. I just love my cheese, like. And that's the hardest thing to go because vegan yeah, cheese isn't the best. No, when they crack the code for cheese, <clears throat> it's going to be a, a <laughs> great day. I mean, there's some new ones coming, but yeah. Even Tall's cheese is great, but yeah. Yeah, it's been, not the same. I know. Even the crossroads in Vegas? Yeah. Oh, I saw you there. Oh, that's the right, opening. That's right, opening. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I ha- have you been to Calabasas? I love it. Really? I haven't good, been there yet. It's a really yet. good vibe, man. I haven't been there yet. Do you cook? You cook food? Yeah. Okay. You're a pretty good cook? I'm pretty okay. Okay. My wife, she actually used to 
be a cook at restaurants. Dude, what doesn't your wife yeah, do, man? I was going to say, yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. So you're cooking a lot at home, yeah. Yeah. She can't wait for me to get home because, I mean, we got four dogs and, you know, a bunch of kids. And it's a partnership. It's a lot to do it in is, a man. house and a yard and a pool. And it's a lot of upkeep. So when I'm gone. She's running the show. Her, yeah. And, I mean, she's still, you know, she, about two years ago, she got real sick and uh, almost died. So Fuck. we're still coming back from that. You know, she's okay now. Yeah. Well, you know, mentally, I think she's back 100% physically. Still, no. Damn, you know, I'm sorry. before we left on tour, my daughter said, Oh, today's a two year anniversary of when the neurologist said she wasn't going to recover. Like, the neurologist came and told me and her mom, like, We don't expect her to get better. You know, this is it. Oh, my God, man. She's not going to make it. And I was like, What? And I had to go tell my kids. Holy fucking hell. The doctor said, You know, mom's not going to make it. And then she got better. They were wrong. Mm. But yeah, that was a really intense period um, in our life. Uh, it taught me a lot about um, being in the moment, mm-hmm. um, not getting ahead of yourself. The night I woke up in the morning and she wasn't responsive. She wasn't waking up, and I dialed nine one one, and they came and they rushed her to the hospital, and her blood pressure was like forty over twenty. Jesus, she was man. like just about to die. And uh, she was in the ICU on a vent, and we didn't know what was going to happen, brain activity. We we just didn't know. And that first night was the most anxiety I've ever had in my entire life. I can't imagine. And I just go, you know, I kept thinking 11 hours from when I saw her in the at night to when I saw her in the morning. Like, what if she didn't have enough oxygen for those 11 hours? Maybe she'll never make it back, you know, 11 hours, 11 hours. And I was like, well... I remember just trying to say, look, you don't know what's going to happen. She could, maybe she makes it and maybe she doesn't. You don't know. Yeah. So let's just live right now and see what happens. And then I went to bed and they're like, the mind said, why didn't you check on her earlier? Mm. And I, after I coached myself off the ledge, yeah, saying, let's just be in the moment. Stay. And, uh, and then, you know, 11 hours, why didn't you check on her? And, I, and then the answer came, well, if you thought something was wrong, you would have. Yeah. So day by day by day, you know, my daughter would go and she goes, I don't want mom to be a vegetable. And I said, you know, me neither. We, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so you have to hold it down for them too. Yeah, man. Living with uncertainty. You know, uh, we all live with uncertainty to yeah, some degree. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. But that was a really confrontational way to deal with it. And it was... You know, we're lucky. You know, I Andreas, we toured with Sepultura and went to Europe with them, and uh, Patricia passed away. Yeah, she's horrible, man. You know, she was battling cancer for a long time, and they thought they thought she had beat it. Yes. And it came back, you know, so how do you deal with that? Can't even imagine, man. You know, and I saw him, and I just, I, we know Patricia forever. I mean, they, they moved to Phoenix for a long time, yeah. you know, and... um he just, he's very stoic and he's really into the stoics and he's just said life goes on, mm. you know, and that's the truth. I mean, ultimately this is the truth. It is the truth. But some people can deal with it better than others. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, Mark, the, my director friend, his wife went in for a procedure and died, like aspirated, vomited, aspirated and died. Oh my God. And he had a two year old daughter at the time, you know. Oh, man, and, and he, I remember he sent me a message one day. He goes, "I think I'm, 
I think I'm finally dealt with it. And it was 15 years. 15 years. Wow. Everybody, you know, yeah, what, what's grief and how do we deal with yeah. it? And, and Mark is really a kind of really thoughtful and a, emotional and kind of deep dude. So sometimes if we overthink stuff, as a lot of us are prone to do, yeah. I don't know if it helps. I mean, I still, I still maybe, I think about my dad because my dad died when I was three. He's still maybe like not over it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's a lot of yeah, questions. Do you get over it? No, you don't get, you don't no. get over it. You learn to live with it. Yeah. Maybe you learn to have it in its spot, and you, and you're, you're, you accept it mm-hmm. for what it is. Totally. But you can't get over these things. No man. There's still a hole in your heart, and it's never gonna go away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy your wife, though, man. She turned it around, and that's. Yeah, we're really lucky, man. Like oh it's God. not, it's not guaranteed, you know. You know, our friend Kevin from the heavy metal shop up in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. his wife Angie, she had pneumonia. She wasn't recovering. She wasn't getting better. And they said, it's really weird. And she went back to the hospital and they said, oh, it's because you have leukemia. And she died like a week later. Jesus, man. Yeah, his wife of 38, 40 years. Are you, are you obviously you're not scared of death? No. Yeah. I'm not in a hurry. Yeah, same. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the one thing Sandy said, too. She goes, that whole experience for me, now I'm not afraid of dying. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, it's, you know, it's a perception thing. I, I believe in reincarnation, so there's no real end. There's an end in this reality for us or this, you know, whatever it is. And then life is a never-ending cycle of I, I really hope it's like that. death I think, and rebirth. Yeah, I, I think, I think. I think I agree with you on that too. I feel like we don't just shut off and then that's it. Like, well, physics say that energy doesn't get destroyed; it just changes form. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, so I, I I can't explain it, and I don't think we're aware of our previous lives or past lives and yeah. this iteration. And when we die, that's just the end of this thing, and it goes on to something else, and we probably won't be aware of it unless we achieve like a much higher level of consciousness Mm -hmm. Uh, this is the whole thing about buddhism if you achieve enlightenment um they say enlightened beings can see their past lives and their future lives and are control of their rebirths so there's that you know whether whether people want to believe this or not no um, i know you know it's uh it doesn't matter because i feel like my dad's been watching over me and my family for my whole life and my grandparents and people i've lost and um, I really feel like that's true, and I want that to be the case. It's like I want to be able to like watch my because there's gonna be a time where I'm not on the planet with my son, like no matter what, like or God forbid something happens to me before I die of old age or whatever. But like, I want to be able to watch over him and see what happens with his life. It's like, and I get I don't want to be more, but I think about that sometimes because I am 53, he's 20. I can see, I can see my end and his is just starting, and it's yeah. just like it's crazy to think about, man. It's just like. Just want to be here forever because we love life so much. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, but you know the the thing is, is this is the attachment issue. You know, mm-hmm. we can have attachment to things that are harmful for us. We can have attachment to wonderful, beautiful things. True, but the attachment is still the attachment, and the attachment is what causes our suffering. Whether it's a good stuff, bad stuff, whatever it is. Yeah. So it's it's being able to let go. Yeah. You know, they said you know death can come as an angel or a devil. It's just how hard, how hard you're holding on. Mm. If you're ready to let go, then it comes as an angel. Hey, come with me. Yeah. And if you're like, no fucking, I'm I'm not done yet. It's like, okay, here's the sword. 
Yeah. You don't get to choose. You know, yeah. when or where. So, you know, there was one teacher who says, in the end, all that's left is to let go. So if we just start letting go now, there'll be less to let go in the end. Yeah. Because we have to let go. That's part of the healing. If we mm-hmm. keep these attachments to these people in our lives that are gone, it just creates suffering. Because yeah. they're gone. We have an attachment to the memory. We have attachment to these things. But lightly. We look forward to being with them someday. Yeah, if we are or if we not. If we are or not, but, yeah, yeah. you know, eventually we're all just going to be a memory. So let's make it a good memory. Yeah. That's so, it. Yeah, memory is crazy. That's it. I mean, you know, my dad passed away about two years ago. And the same thing. Like, I think about it sometimes. It makes me sad. You know, and that I'll never get to see him again. Yeah. You know, go, well, I still have those times that we were together. Mm-hmm. And that has to be enough. Yeah. How old was you when he died? Uh, 82. No, not, not super old. No, no. In this day and age, too, that's like, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. My grandma was 92. She lived a long time. Yeah. My mom's in hospice now. Like, she doesn't probably have a lot longer. You know, she's 78. Oh, wow, man. Yeah. And uh, before we went to Australia, I thought that she was going to pass away, like right before we, the night before we were leaving. I was yeah. like, wow. And she rallies. She's tough. But it's it's weird thinking like those are your parents. I know. You know, and them being gone. And I go, it's a special kind of alone, I think. Even if you have, you're older, you have your own family. Yeah, it's. Those are your parents, man. I know, man. My mom's still alive. She's like almost 80. She lives out here. I remember uh, when my dad died and I had friends whose parents passed away and I called them back up and I was like, man, I'm really sorry. I didn't understand Mm. what it meant to you. Like, you don't know until it happens to, you know, most of these things in life, you know, you don't really know until you have the experience. Yeah. This is the thing about raising kids, right? We have the experience. We're trying to save them from falling into the same holes that we've, you know, save them from the sufferings that we've had. You know, hey, I've been through this before. I'm trying to help you out. And I tell my kids all the time, look, I don't expect you to listen to me because I don't listen to my parents. And what are you going to be the first kids that ever listened to their parents in the history of <laughs> kids and parents? Yeah. But I'm going to just tell you this anyhow, you know, but take it for what it's worth. But the True. most important things in life, anyhow, they need to figure out for them. You're not going to take anyone's word for it either, are you? No, nah, yeah. Even even if someone you respect who's been through it and they're giving you advice and you're like, yeah. But then you still got to do it anyhow. Go through it yourself, yeah. Because that's life. Yeah. Do you have any major regrets in your life? Uh, my kind of regrets are I just wish I was nicer to everybody mm-hmm. along the way, the whole time. I can't see you being a jerk. Um, okay. <laughs> ask my ask my wife and kids. They'll, okay. they'll tell you. Well, you know, like I I remember just being, you know, like I was sixteen, seventeen in a band. Thought I was fucking cool. Don't you know, I told my wife like, you don't understand. You know, you know, you don't understand. You never had a fucking passion and a fucking. You know, she's like, you're such a fucking asshole. Uh-huh. You know, she's like, fuck you. You know, she would always tell me, you know, like. Fuck your band. She goes, it's great and all, but at the end of the day, when all that bullshit's over, who's going to be here for you? Your your wife and your family, so fuck all that. She was right. And she was right. And and I would say to her, why the fuck did you stick around when I was such an egotistical douche? And she would say, <laughs> she would say, I know you always had it in you. Oh, man fucking awesome man yeah even when i didn't know you know yeah and she stuck it out you know 
That's, that's, a, that's beautiful. Yeah, man. man. It's, it's, life is crazy, you know? Yeah. And I'm really lucky to have someone like her in my life, you know? Yeah. What a rock. What a badass. Yeah, man. Just really real partner, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Fuck women, it's a big man. deal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and she's a nurse, and I would always tell her, if nursing was a male-dominated field, <laughs> you'd be making 10 times as much, you know? <laughs> and when are we just going to get out of the way? Mm-hmm. Look what we've done. <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams did a thing 100 years ago. He goes, look, a, a woman should be president. A woman would never start wars. A woman would never do this. He goes, every 28 days there would be intense negotiations, but there would never be a war. It's it true, wrong? man. Yeah, because women are the bringers of life. Everything, man. You know, and women hold every family down, and women are the people that make our world really the kind gentle and caring place that it is yeah and we're a bunch of dumb fucking dudes who think we're in charge and we need to stop and get out of the fucking way and everything will probably be a lot better i know but yeah maybe we'll learn at some point yeah it's true about men we're just like fucking we're dumb. Yeah, we're dumb. We're fucking dumb, especially in groups. Mm-hmm. We're really dumb. Especially in groups. Yeah. Yeah, so. Maybe we'll have a uh, woman president someday. That'd be amazing, man. Yeah, everyone else has. I know. It's just, well, imagine it. The biggest, the biggest warmongering, arms dealing, government overthrowing bully on the entire planet hasn't had a female president yet. I That's wonder why. crazy, bro. If you think about it like that. You know, someone said, you know, uh, the United States is great about making all these movies about these plucky rebel upstarts, you know, trying to overthrow the, uh, the, um, uh, the empire. He's like, yeah. you are the empire. Yeah. You know, like we watch Star Wars and we root against Darth Vader and we don't realize we are Darth Vader. Yeah. It's crazy. That sometimes we do root for the bad guys in those movies. We see like good in them and stuff, you know? Yeah. Cause we, that's who we are. I know. <laughs> Politically. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ah. Uh, Oh, whatever, man. You know, <laughs> it's it's awful, but things are changing. I mean, you know, I think it's going to be strange what America understands it's not really the world's superpower anymore, mm. which it already isn't. Yeah. And China is really taking the lead, and China's building um, alliances with other countries out of mutual help, mm-hmm. developing uh, Africa making loans, building schools, building roads. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's, the future is not about building military power and threatening people. It's building cooperation and realizing that we're all in this together and there's no point of really having enemies. Yeah. And that ultimately, no matter where you live or what language you speak or where you go, people all want the same thing, whether it's the U.S. or China or Russia or Iraq, Iran, and Africa and Australia and in Europe, everybody wants a nice life for their family, you know, that their kids to be happy Safe and healthy. And healthy. Oh, yeah. yeah, to have a meaningful life and not to struggle. Everybody wants the 100%, same thing. man. And we need to look past all the bullshit, you know, and just work together. Everybody just needs to work together. I and wish, it's not man. that hard. I know, man. And it feels better. It does feel better. And it's the natural way that we are meant to be. Mm-hmm. You know, someone said, no, people are bad. I'm like, if people were bad, you would walk outside and get attacked by a machete. People would be running lights and smashing into each other. (laughs) It's amazing with all the billions of people on the planet that we're doing pretty well. Pretty good, dude. Yeah, it's so true. So that's that's 
people's real nature. Mm-hmm. Are you an optimist or pessimist? Optimist. I totally see that. Dude. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, there's this teacher. His name's uh, Bob Thurman. It's Uma Thurman's dad. Oh, wow. And he's uh, he was one of the first Westerners to be ordained a Tibetan monk. He had a Mongolian monk in New Jersey where he was living. He said, I want to be a monk. I want to be a monk. The guy said, no, you don't. There's no support system for you. You can't be a monk. <laughs> he kept bugging him for years. He said, well, I'll take you to India. Maybe Dalai Lama will make you a monk. So Dalai Lama makes him a monk. And about two years in, he decides it's not for him. He goes, Dalai Lama was mad at me. He didn't talk to me for two years. <laughs> he goes, he goes back to New Jersey and he doesn't have anything. He's got his monk robes in a bowl. He goes, I have no money. I have no clothes. I have no anything. What am I supposed to do? And uh, the Mongolian monk opens up the closet, goes in and takes out his clothes and gives it back to him and says, I knew you weren't going to make it. And wow. Gave him back his stuff. <laughs> and then he was uh, uh, the head of Tibetan Indio Studies at uh, Columbia University in New York. He's got a wonderful podcast, the Bob Thurman podcast. And he would say, we're all trending towards enlightenment. Mm. We're all trending. We're all, we're all heading towards enlightenment. No matter how long it takes or whatever it is, we're all. And when you really zoom out and you look at hunger, life expectancy on the planet, it's, it's getting better. Yeah. We can zoom in and say, oh, shit, look at this, look at that. Okay. But on a macro level, things are getting better. Yeah. And I look at the kids. I look at my kids. I'm like, yeah, they'll save us from ourselves. Same. I think so. Yeah. yeah. They're more kind. They're more compassionate, more understanding. They don't care about fucking gay people or transgender. None of those things matter. They like, let people be how they want to be. Yeah. You know, let's do something positive. I love that. I love that. This generation of kids like yeah. that, that age. You know, what, what, to make a difference, man. And what kind of drives me nuts is <laughs> my, my oldest son, Zach, was a philosophy and history major in school. And he was reading me. Is saying, and it was like someone saying, you know, the kids today are disrespectful. They have no respect for the old ways. They're not smart and they're lazy. And, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It was 5,000 years ago. And it was these ancient <laughs> Greek philosophers saying this. Wow. So this is always the same, too. Yeah. It's the older generation doesn't understand the newer generation. And they want to d- denigrate them and say, oh, kids today. Yeah. Like. Uh, shoot me if I'm become that guy. Mm-hmm. I never would have become that guy. No, nah, man. That. But and you can see it, right? You see it in some other people. For that sure. Fucking culture. Like, just stop, man. Or just that music, just everything. Yeah. And just stop. The kids today are way ahead of where we were. And so compassionate, so conscious of the environment. Yeah. The planet. They're better than we were. It's great. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be. They should keep getting better. Yeah. All the kids during the during like. All the right, just everything happening past couple years. All the kids who came forward and speaking yeah. out. And think about you know, man. look, we obviously know the, the terrible part of millions of people that died in the pandemic and mm-hmm. all the horrible things that happened, economic trouble for a lot of people. The flip side is, all those protests were allowed to happen because people weren't going to j- uh, weren't going to work. Mm-hmm. I think, in some way, it was the universe's way of saying, "Slow down." Hundred percent. You're on a timeout. Yeah. And for me personally, um, if that wasn't going on, I would have been on tour. Who knows if anyone would have found my wife? Mm. My parents were sick, and we moved my parents in with us. I wouldn't have been able. I mean, there were a lot of yeah. benefits for me personally. Yeah. Um, that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So there's always like once again, all the most wonderful things that are happening are also happening at the same exact time. And some of the most horrible things, and they're yeah. all together, and they all come together, and you can't separate them from one another. 
so, so true. But so if you can see the good part in the dark, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you know, when we play, there's a song called Awakening, you know, title yep. track. And um, it talks about, like, I went through a really bad depression, probably about five years, you know, when I was just working and feeling meaningless and on the wrong path. What's your purpose and all that question? Yeah, I was so. on the wrong path. Yeah. And Sandy would say, you need to do music, you need to do music. And it talks about, you know, just a living in a fog, wasting every day, I'd lost my way. Mm-hmm. You know, and all of us go through dark times in 100%. our life. You know, my best friend uh, killed himself uh, 12 years ago, my best friend Jeff. And I just think, man, what? A, it's a permanent solution for a temporary problem. Yes. Because nothing lasts. That's that's good. So when bad times are happening, just keep going because they're not going to last. Yeah. And when good things sure. are happening, appreciate them because they're not going to last too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, someone said, "How do you?" Uh, someone asked a teacher, "How do you sum up Buddhism?" He said, "Everything changes." It's true. true. Yeah. Just getting through all the different yeah. Change is the one constant. We know that everything's changing, and this is the part about attachment. This is why attachment leads to suffering because you get attached to an idea or a thing. And you think that it's going to remain the same. But if we know that everything is impermanence, that even what you think is the thing that you're attached to isn't really what you think it is. And it's already mm. changed. So it's that attachment to things, knowing that like it, impermanence isn't what makes you suffer. The fact It's your misunderstanding of impermanence, that you think things are permanent. That's mm. what makes you suffer. How about like not only your children? Like we make these kids, we raise them, but they're not ours. Like no. they can just leave. That's crazy too. Like it's just like, but and they don't listen to you. <laughs> they don't listen. They don't. Who loves them more than you? Who's trying to look out for them more than you? I Who's know. trying to save them all the suffering and the hardships than you? And they're like fucking oblivious. Yeah, I know it's crazy if you tell your kid one thing and he doesn't listen to it, but then somebody else tells him the same thing and like, oh, so and so told me this. I'm gonna try. I'm like, what? They yeah. want to hear from somebody else, not you. Yeah. It's happened a million times. Yeah, time. of even, course. Even becoming full vegan was it because of me yeah. it was because of a podcast guess he saw in my kitchen i'm like yeah i've been here the whole time yeah just stuff like that but just like but yeah that, they're not ours man it's that's about understanding that we that control is an illusion mm-hmm. there's no such thing as control. we can barely control ourselves let alone True. trying to control somebody <laughs> else yeah and that's another thing is just thinking you have control once they, you know we were talking about it a little earlier you know thinking that i have an idea of how the world should be and when it doesn't match, I get upset. Yes. Like, well, I have an idea of what my kids should do. When that doesn't happen, I get upset. I have an idea of how my day should go. I have an idea how people should talk to me. And when they don't talk to me like that, I get upset. <laughs> Whose fucking fault is that? Yeah. So we're in control of ourselves and our thoughts and ideas, hopefully. And then we just need to train ourselves mm-hmm. to say, okay, if someone says something mean to you, it's probably because they're having a hard time today. 100%. And it's not about you and not let it bother you. And when I wish people could see it like that, I mean, it's, it's everyone can, yeah. it just takes practice Yeah, and they need to hear it. And sometimes you hear it and you're ready for it. Sometimes you can hear it a hundred times and it doesn't mean anything. Exactly. The hundred and first time is that's the whole idea of advertising, isn't it? Mm, over and over again. <laughs> yeah. They keep fucking slamming that shit in it's your face. Point. It's that's what it is. Fuck. Until you do it and give in. Yeah. So I feel like you should be a teacher or for like a professor or something. I think I, a high school dropout. Yeah, they're gonna. Doesn't sign matter me though. Up. You have so much like gems I've, and I've for for man. years. I thought about writing a book. Yeah. And uh, then I think, who the fuck am I to write a book? Like, uh, what I, kind of book? 
Uh, about your life? No. Uh, so I did an interview with this uh, magazine, Lion's Roar, and it's a, a Buddhist magazine. We talked about the record and the Buddhist themes in Awakening. And and I said, you know, I have an idea forever about writing a Buddhist book, and it's called Two Letters to Happiness. And he's like, what are the letters? I go, okay. It's just accepting things as they are. If you say okay to everything. And he goes, I don't know about the title. Two letters, they might think like letters, like writing a letter. I go, who the fuck thinks that? Mm-hmm. And if people get it wrong, they get it wrong. That's my title. That's two incredible two title. letters to happiness. I love that. Because it's that simple. And I think that's the whole idea in general Buddhism. It's one of the things that I love about Buddhism is that we all have Buddha nature. And Buddha just means enlightenment, right? So yeah. we all have enlightenment nature. It's already in us. It's not outside. You don't have to go somewhere else. It's already yeah. there. And we just really need to uncover it. Yeah. It's just a discovery, uncovering it, letting it happen. Mm-hmm. So um, I just think it is simple. It takes practice and yeah. takes, you know, you got to do it. But um, it's already there. You yeah. know, and this is that thing about searching outside. And so, you know, people are predicating their happiness on causes and conditions. When I get this, I'll be happy. If this happens, I'll be happy. When this happens to me, that when I get this job or I get this boyfriend or girlfriend or I get this car or I I get this piece of chocolate cake or whatever it is, you know. And so that is a causal relationship and that's a transitory thing and that's a something that's always going to be changing. And like if we said that everything is impermanence and you want a red sports car and by the time you get it, it's not really what you thought it was in the first True. place or that job promotion or that girl or that guy or whatever it is. Uh, counting on outside things to make us happy will never bring us true everlasting happiness. So if we need to find it in ourself, what does it mean? How do we find that happiness? Yeah. And it's that happiness outside of causes and conditions. So it's that happiness saying... I accept things as they are. I expect nothing. I accept what comes to me. I know that life is going to be full of ups and downs and I'm ready for it. Yeah. And this is the ride and I'm going to smile through it and I'm going to understand when things are bad, it's okay because it's not going to last. And when things are good, I'm going to appreciate it and I'm going to look at everybody and understand they're going through the same thing. Yeah. And I'm be open to everyone and treat everyone the best I can. Because what can we do? What's the key to our life? What's our purpose? Yeah. Is to treat everybody with kindness and love and compassion that we encounter. Yeah. To, to make our little corner of the world a little bit better. What did the Dalai Lama say? If you can't make things better, at least don't make things worse. So if our goal yeah. is to at least not make things worse and to try yeah. to bring a little happiness, a little sunshine in people's day. I love that, man. I mean, what else can we do? I know. In every interaction, in everything, to look people in the eye and to know that, thank you, I appreciate you, you're valuable. You're, there's a line in- I wish the whole world acted and thought like it, this, it, man. It, it would change everything overnight. That's, I, I mean, we could change our planet overnight by just being more kind and compassionate and understanding and putting other people first. It's just a lot of people are just selfish and stuff. It's just a small change. It's a small change. But so many people just live like in this tunnel vision, just live in their life and them, 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 and yeah. me, 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 and don't care about other people. And That's what they're taught, you know? 
that's what they're. I mean, think about people that carry guns and see enemies everywhere. Mm. Those people really see enemies everywhere, and they think there's threats everywhere. It's just a different way to look at the world. Yeah, I never look at that. I walk down the street. I don't worry about anything. Same. I don't see threats. I just see regular people, man, that are just trying to do the best they can. And some yeah. people are in bad situations, man. Yeah. I see, you know, you see those kids on the street and they're fucking suffering, man. And maybe they have a drug problem because maybe they were raised in a fucked up way and they just self-medicating because they hurt so bad. Yeah. And people are like, well, you did it to themselves. They want to punish people. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh said, when you see someone else's suffering and someone is being mean or having a hard time, that's their suffering spilling over. Yeah. They don't need, they don't need punishment. They need kindness and understanding. Like just throwing people to the wayside, not trying to help them. It's so bad. All the people downtown and yeah. like, um, Skid Row and stuff. Just, yeah. just like, fuck, these people all have stories. They have parents. Where did they yes. come from? I see those people and I go, that's someone's daughter. That's yeah. Someone's son. I go, fuck, man. I know. It's heartbreaking. I wish I could talk to all of them, interview them all, just try to help people. But It's like, just heartbreaking. It is, man. It's hard. And no one cares, you know? No one cares. No. That's why they push them downtown. Yeah. But they're yeah. fucking human beings with yeah, like hearts man. and... That's someone's daughter. That's someone's son. That's some. Look, man. In our family, we've dealt with serious drug addiction. Uh-huh. So I have a personal experience with that. Yeah. And just know that no one wants to live like that. No. No, and they're suffering, and there's not a lot of resources. And to think, if you're on something like opiates or something, you know that quitting is like hell. And possibly deadly. On some yes. Stuff. Yeah. And you know that it's going to be so hard and so much suffering and just violently ill and if people even want to get out of it then where do you get the help yeah where do you even where do you even begin yeah and you just you know if you have to go through a week or two of total fucking hell shitting yourself and pissing yourself and vomiting yeah. and thinking you're gonna die to get the rest of your life you give up one thing to get the rest of your life back and it's hard but there's like nobody even there talking to them or helping them. And people yeah. just, it's like. And you think of what's the cause in the first place, mm-hmm. you know? What, stems what happened? Yeah. What was what was the trauma? What was oh, the suffering? Raised. Yeah. We, I feel like me and you, we've done our best to raise our kids with compassion <clears throat> and love and open-mindedness and love and all that. And, that we, that, and that's where it starts in the home. Racism, everything is all yeah. in the home. And so, like, I feel like, obviously, I'm just talking to you now and feeling your passion, like that's how we raise our children to go out there in the world and just be very compassionate humans. That's yeah. the best we can do. Yes. That's our job, to be it role models and, and lead by example. And yeah. fuck, man. What you said is so true because I think, I thought about this a lot, like um, as a parent, if you never said anything to your kids about how to be or anything and you just role modeled it, it would be enough. Because you think about kids that were abused and grow up and become abusers, you would think that seems counterintuitive. seems like the last thing they would ever be. But the the example is so strong that yeah. it's hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really true. So yeah. hurt people, hurt people. Be the change you want to see. Be the change. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about it. Just fucking do it. Yeah. You know? So That's true, why man. those are my favorite lyrics on that whole record, Manifest Reality. You know, it says, uh, search for answers near or far. But it says, but you are perfect just the way you are. Love that too, man. There's a, there's a thing. I got to see if I can find it. It's um, this teacher. It's uh, Ajahn Chah. And uh, he's, a, he's a Thai Buddhist. And I love him. And he said, uh, I went all over looking for places to meditate. 
I didn't realize it was already there in my heart. Mm. All the meditation is right there inside of you. Birth, old age, sickness, and death are right there within you. I traveled all over until I was ready to drop dead from exhaustion. Only then, when I stopped, did I find what I was looking for inside of me. That's that's amazing. You know, he said, no one and nothing can free you but your own understanding. It's... Yeah. It's your own journey. Yeah. No, it's crazy that you sing in a band called Sacred Reich, like in a metal band. And you're, there's, there's, so, there's so much more to you that I learned today. I know you for many years, but just I'll also just re- reconnecting with you. But people on the outside, they see that music or hear that music, don't even read the lyrics, hear the aggression, the sound, the look. But you're just like a really sweet, compassionate fucking human. It's crazy, man. It's it, beautiful. Well, it's man. funny at the shows. Like, and your lyrics, man. It's, well, it's like, funny at the shows, like I talk about the songs. Yeah. You know, this song is about um, tr- trying to, when, when we play Manifest, I said, you know, this is about creating the world in which we want to live and how can we do it? Because we know no politician's ever going to help us. That's not really their job. Hell no. So how do we do it? You know, I'm like, if you want more love in the world, you have to be more love. Yes. You want more kindness in the world, you have to be more kindness. You want more compassion, you have to do it. No one is coming to save us. No. It's only up to us. Yeah. So I go, be the change you want to see and manifest reality. That's it. Yeah. It's just that simple. Yeah. I feel like you've been writing lyrics like this for years, though, like just all kinds of... Yeah, it was a lot more political stuff, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff. It was always right there, like what my wife said. <laughs> she said, I know you always had it in you. Yeah. Like man. it was always there. I yeah. just had to suppress the ego and the always thinking that you're right and all that kind of selfish bullshit. Mm-hmm. I had to vacate that. I had to offload that crap to let all the good stuff really just take over. Yeah, how old are you now? 53. 1969, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. baby. I'm, I'm 1970. I'm, yeah, awesome, man. You feel like you're in a good place in your life now? Fuck yeah. It just keeps getting better. I can't wait. Yeah. I remember hitting 30 going, fuck, I can't believe I made it out of my 20s. God damn. <laughs> and then 40 was better. I love, 50, the, I love yeah. the 50s, man. Yeah, I feel man. Like so good. I don't know what it is, yeah. man. I feel like the best I've ever felt, man. Just you, and you feel less like an idiot. Mm. You know what I mean? I think I feel you're, like I'm less about, like an idiot. I worry about way less, too. Oh, yeah. Like, little things don't bother me. It's just like. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld was talking like when he hit 60, <laughs> he said something like, uh, he goes, people ask me to do something. He goes, now I just go, no. <laughs> he, yeah. goes, he goes, I just go, no. Just saying no. He goes, I can't wait till I'm 70 and I just turn around and walk away. I don't even say no. Wow. Because, you know, you get older, right? And you, hopefully, you um, are okay with who you are. Totally. You know, like this is, as a band, as being in a band. Yep. And saying like, all right, we are who we are. We do what we do. Some people are going to like it. Some people won't. And that's okay. Yeah. Let's yeah. just be the best us, whatever us is. And have fun, dude. Yeah, man. And as a person, like this is who I am. I would talk to my wife, you know, and through her old illness, she like put on weight. Like she was always incredibly active, you know, doing her nursing. It's like 12 hours a day and she would do like 10, 12 miles. And, Damn. You know, and she's like, I'm just not happy where I am physically. I go, well, what what you just need to do is love yourself where you're at, and then if you want to make steps, then then do the things you need to do to be where you want to be. Hundred percent. But that's the same thing, like with the kids, you got to love them where they're at. Yeah. You know, even when it's really hard, mm-hmm. even when it's a challenge, even when they're doing things that you can't even believe they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And you just got to love people where they're at. Yeah. And, and she's always really good about reminding me. Like sometimes you want to punish people. You want to. 
show them the way and are we doing them a disservice and mm-hmm. she's like love is the fucking answer always i love that man man i mean that song mind games john lennon mm-hmm. i remember i was going through a big change in my life and i was listening to legend legend and i was like he's talking right to me you know it's like <laughs> mind games and watching the wheels and thinking about you know he left the beatles and everybody's like aren't you missing it you know and he's just sitting there watching his son grow up and yeah man you know and he you're trying to tell that guy yeah that guy was in the fucking beatles <laughs> he yeah. knows he knows it's all bullshit and it's all a fucking illusion mm. it's an illusion yeah all that stuff it's doesn't mean anything it's great and it's wonderful and they're a wonderful incredible band that made a big contribution to music and change totally but so yeah. what so uh, yeah fuck man this has such been such a great conversation with you man thank just, you for having me of i've course, been looking forward to me it. too but just getting to know even more like we never even ch- talked like this on 1991 yeah. this is why this is why i like don't like being around groups of people yeah and i like one-on-one and i don't like a ton of small talk <laughs> i like <laughs> i like to go deep man no. i like to really talk about the really i want to find out where people are coming from and what's important yeah and to I, mean, them got, I got and, really deep with you like i got and i love that you shared so much today and just like i i, I love you more as a person like everything your whole come up where you're at now everything you've been through and and the person you are it's it's awesome man yeah, I, th- I think for the listeners too like who know the band and you know maybe hearing you talk for the first time or anything it's just it's fucking cool man i, I learned a lot too you dropped a lot of gems man it's just about life and stuff and because i get caught up in my stress and the reality yeah. and the future and this and that and it's hard man life comes what, what did what did ferris bueller say life comes at you fast yeah yeah and it's easy to get caught up and it's easy to worry about stuff and Look, man, we live a very precarious life. Yeah. My son Leo's 21. He loves to play music, plays guitar, he plays drums, plays bass, likes to sing. He goes, what do you think? I go, go to fucking school, man. Yeah. I go, you're great at school. You're really bright. I go, you're 21. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm what I'm saying is you can... I go, go to still and still play. Well, I, I go, you can always jam with your friends. You could be yeah. in a band. You can record music, but have a career and have a nice life. I go, you see the struggle, dude. You see you see our, our struggle, mm-hmm. and I don't want it for you. Yeah. But look, man, if he decides to play music, I would never try to dissuade him. Totally. Because it's the greatest thing you could ever fucking do, and it I is. wouldn't change a thing, and it's we're so lucky. I wouldn't, I mean- we get to do the greatest thing ever. You get to play music, travel around the world, and it's, your friends. it's the coolest thing you could ever do. So when people say, when ba- people, young people in bands like, what's your advice? I go, go to school. Yeah. And they go, no, nah, man, I got to. I go, no, nah, man, go back to school, fuck this shit. And they're like, no, nah, man, I got to do it. I got to do it. I go, well, good. Then go do it. Yeah. Because that's the attitude you have to have. You have to really want to. You really want to do You can't it, be doing it for money it. or chicks or, or fame. Yeah, none of it. No, I'm mean, do it straight out of love, man. You have to do it because there's something inside of you that won't be happy unless you do it. And I found out. Mm-hmm. I tried to do other things. I was successful at other things. So you were missing it. Was I was fucking. I, I literally want to kill myself every day. Fuck. And I thought. I'm a horrible example. I'm a terrible person. My family would be better off without me. Jesus. But I would never do it. Yeah. You know, but I thought about it, how I would do it, what I would do. Damn. Yeah, every fucking day. You know, and I was, I just knew I was miserable. Did you feel like a failure in music? 
I felt like a failure in life. Okay. Like when I split up with my wife, yeah. we were split up for like two years Damn. and divorced for six months before Damn. we got remarried. But when she left and I realized I was a failure at the only thing that really was important, the band shit, whatever, man. Yeah. The only thing that was really important was my family and I failed. Mm. I crashed and burned. Now it's too late. And I, and I realized it too late. And it was devastating. Fuck. And then I was like, you got to change, man. And that's what, you know, started me on a different road. Yeah. Were your kids, how old were your kids then when you got divorced? They were like six and eight, you know, and I started going to the, you know, the Buddhist group and meditating all the time. And it was probably the best human I've ever been in my life, you know, when I was really, I was working at a bank and I had banker hours. So I was able to go to all the group stuff and lead meditation, and I was really, really into all the weekend teach. I was able to really dive in head first, yeah. and it really helped it out. Saved your life in a sense. It, it, a it, 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 yeah, it really did. It's been the greatest thing for me personally. It allowed everything to happen. Yeah, I don't think otherwise uh, my life would be where it's at today. Well, you get your wife back if you didn't even do that. Maybe yeah, not. yeah, right. probably not. I mean, Damn. there was a lot. It was. Uh, like you know, everything it, it's not it's not for everybody, right? Yeah. But it is for me. Yeah. And and even my wife, last year she goes, I'm not Christian anymore. She was raised, you know. She goes, I think I go, you're not. She goes, yeah, I think I'm Buddhist. And she told her mom, and she goes, her mom goes, Phil got to you. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Mom, Phil didn't get to me. Damn, she's been on her own. She's not. She's yeah. Like, well, she would come with me to teachings. She goes, it just makes sense. I go, oh, look, nice. when I was in community college when I was 18. And I took world religions class. Yeah. And at, at 18, Buddhism made the most sense. Yeah, out of everything, yeah. And it w- took another 12 years for me to actually start practicing. Were you raised Christian or Catholic? Jewish. Oh, that's right. Duh, my bad. I went my to bad. yeshiva, dude. I my went bad. to like Hebrew school. Like I would have Hebrew in the morning and English. I went to private school. Wow. And it never stuck. I never believed it. Like I'm Jewish culturally, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and like I said, my aunt and uncle were in Dachau and yeah. like, and, and you grow up in Brooklyn. I didn't know, I didn't know there was anything else other than Jewish or Catholic. Mm-hmm. I didn't know other, other religions <laughs> existed, but, uh, it never really made any sense to me. Like mm-hmm. I was, I would hear everything I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. Well, you celebrated the Jewish holidays growing up. Oh yeah. yeah you know, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and my, my family was, uh, my obviously my uncle was in Dachau, so he was very religious, yeah. you know. And my aunt and uncle, my mom's sister and her husband, they keep kosher and stuff. Okay. So it's around. It's just I don't believe in God, so it's a bit of an issue. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big problem. You know, and I think that's okay. My wife became Catholic for a little while. Oh wow! And she went through the OCI program, and I was talking to her sponsor, and she's like. Oh, your wife says you're Buddhist. You know, Buddhists believe in God, right? And I was like, well, you know, we should probably shouldn't have this conversation. Like, it's okay. <laughs> um, what about new sacred right music? We're working on it. Yeah, awesome. I thought we were actually going to go record a record uh-huh. during the pandemic. And then my wife got sick and everything mm. stopped. But we, we have like maybe six or eight songs in various stages. Yeah. So our goal is to, this tour ends today. Yep. And then we got Europe in the summer, and then Europe in the fall, and then hopefully in the new year go record a new record. When are you in Europe this summer? Uh, End of July, August. Same, me too, yeah. 
Maybe we'll cross paths on the festival. That would be or something. great, man. I love Europe in the summer. I love the festival. Fuck yeah! I look forward to it so much. Oh, man. I, touring in Europe is the best because they just treat you like humans, oh man. God. The it's, food, just everything. All the menus have showers. They cook for you. I know. Nice vegan options. All yeah. Kinds. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It's really a very humane way to tour. Like in the U.S., it's like the fucking Wild West. It's like <laughs> here's some water and a couple towels. Enjoy yourself. But this tour is going good. Yeah, the tour's been great. Like all the guys in the bands are killer and. It's everyone commented. It's Are you just seeing been younger fans coming stuff. out too, seeing you for the well, first yeah, time. Well, yeah, I think you know Municipal Waste brings a lot of yes. younger people. Yeah, and uh, you know it's great to watch Creeping Death, like this young death metal band. It's not really my jam. Yeah, but I fucking like them and I appreciate them, and you awesome. can see the sincerity. Yeah, and that's all you're really looking for, anyhow. Like, of course, do these fuckers mean it. Are you listening to new music? Like, do you pay attention to new music at all? Or new I, you know, like the newest band I like is Turnstile. Yeah, you know? let's go. Um, that's everybody on this podcast will mention that yeah, yeah because I, I I remember you know it's funny there's lyrics um, on one of the new songs I'm drawing a blank right now it's uh, on your songs are trying to yeah and it's and it name checks um, fuck uh, you name check a band well it's it's um, oh non-stop feeling ah. it's that you can't stop the non-stop feeling it's you know from that wow. from that song that is fucking awesome, man. Yeah, and then I remember getting the new record, and I was like, wow, it's really, Ooh. like, they really went for it. They like, did. they're not afraid. Not afraid. And To be themselves and try different things. Yeah, like, you know, because you can get stuck you in your stuck. own prison that you and create for yourself. worry about what the fans are going to think or people are going to think, yeah. And it fucking is amazing, and it's just blowing up, like, it's, huge, it's it, you know, it's like, I don't really know those guys. Great kids. But Great kids. but but it's like I feel like they're my kids and I'm so fucking proud. Yeah. And I hate to say I never tell my kids like I'm proud of you mm-hmm. because it feels like I told my son Zach I go I don't want to say I'm proud of you because I feel like then I'm taking some sort of credit for all your hard work. True. So all I can say is I admire you. Mm-hmm. I admire what you've accomplished cuz you did it, not yeah. me. Yeah. You know, so it's weird, like a little linguistic thing. So I feel like, so I feel like saying I'm proud is a parental kind of like (laughs) taking credit. But yeah, I'm just very excited for them. Me too. And for what they mean to the scene and kicking the door in, who's going to come in behind them. And that they'll blink 182 shit, dude. It's It's going to just go next fucking level, man. I'm excited for the next record, what that's going to sound like. Yeah. To see them on the Blink tour. They're going to make so many new friends. It's going to be insane. Because it's real, man. It is real. And how they treat the people and how they go about it and how they respect the fans and all the videos that they make is very fan-centric. So great, dude. Yeah. I took my daughter up to see them in the Salt Lake City. Um, cause I was out of town like yeah. when they played and we went some in a 250 cap club, like the smallest club what? in the whole, and the whole tour. Wow. Yeah. And it, it was just insane. insane. I got destroyed, man. We went up front <laughs> first song came in. I got totally taken out like five people on top You're of me. Pit again. I love Lost it. a shoe for the first time in 53 years. <laughs> I'm like, all right, old man, fucking hobble your ass out to the edge of the pit. She just went out there for the show. Yeah, we we, so cool, we were supposed man. to come see him here in L.A., but it was too close to the beginning of the Sepultura tour. I mm. didn't have time. And I was supposed to go see him a couple times in Phoenix, and it never fucking worked out. Yeah, that's cool. You took a trip out there and see him. Yeah, I was like, Salt Lake City's easy. The hotel was two doors down from the club. 
I met the tour manager. He let us go to Soundcheck. Wow. We hung out at Soundcheck, and I met the touring guitar player, Greg. Okay. Sirwanka from uh, Take Offense. Yep. He's from San Diego. He's got a cool style on stage. Yeah, and they're playing, and he starts playing the riff from the American Way during Soundcheck, and I went, <laughs> and he came down, he fist bumped me. He goes, I saw you guys in San Diego with Sepultura. I fucking love you guys. Oh, I saw, so I cool, saw him man. last night in San Diego. We hung out. Dude, that's so cool, man. Yeah, and we got to say hey to the guys, and my daughter got pictures with Franz. And, yeah, uh, Freaky Franz, yeah. my dude. And Pat, and uh, yeah, they're it's fucking. so cool, man. I just I uh, fucking love them me too. so much. Love the sound, love the not scared to try different things, different melodies. Yeah, their energy, their, bounce, their vibe. Too. Yeah, everything about it is just so perfect, and it's wonderful. It's cool that two 53-year-olds are loving that and appreciating that, coming from where we came from and the music we grew up on. I it's a testament to them, man. Yeah. They transcend the fucking bullshit. They do. They're the real, real. That you know, th- it's funny that they have the real thing because mm-hmm. it couldn't be fucking more true. Yeah. They are the real fucking thing, and that's why they're successful. Yeah. Because people can see it. They feel it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. real, and people getting into that scene, and it's it's First a great time going scene. to a punk show, hardcore show. It's shell. great to be part of that community and to lift it. Yeah, man. It's got an inclusive vibe, all diverse. Yes, dude. it's fucking exactly how it should yeah, be. Yeah, I, I want nothing but the best one. I cannot wait to see them on the, what happens next. And people know this on this podcast, we talk about Turnstile every episode, but you brought them up. So, like, yeah, man, great band. I'm stoked for their future. Yeah, man. And it's like, I know a lot of people are like, well, that's not punk. That's not hawker. There's no blueprint to this shit. And yeah. whatever your punk is, your hawkers could, someone else is different. But to me, they're a hardcore punk band, and I love them. And, and it's like a new generation that I love all the new bands that are coming out now. I love it. I love And it's all it. over the place. Yeah, and it's, it's you huge. don't have to judge. You don't nah, have to put dude. people in a box. It's against the whole idea of the whole thing in the first 100%, place. 100%, dude. There's a lot of gatekeepers of it. It's like, dude, who yeah. the fuck are you in the first place? Like, I remember thinking, what's hardcore? Hardcore is Agnostic Front and the Chromags, mm-hmm. right? But that's one version of it. What about the Bad Brains? Don't sound anything and like that's that. That's 30 years ago. It, what's the Bad Brains? Don't sound anything like that. Fugazi doesn't sound anything nah. like that. It's what it is, and it's more an attitude and what your expression. A it's not to be life, afraid. So everything involved, man. It's it's beyond the sound. Yeah. The one band too that I fucking love is Scowl, man. I Let's fucking, go. They're my friends. I love yeah, Scowl. they're and, on the pod. And I look at them and I go, love of, them. of course they're going to be huge. Look at them. I know. They got. She is incredible. Badass. She's fucking adorable. On top of it, and you can't discount that. Mm-hmm. It's part of the package on top of everything. That's like the icing on the cake. And the newest EP, she's singing on the song yes, and the video. Yes, yes. So cool. And it's great kids too. Stoked and, for them. And yeah, I watch them and I go, "Fuck, I can't wait for them." You know, to kick in that door too, man. Just killed Coachella the last yes. two weekends or in England and right now. More women, man. More women dude. in the scene. You know, Jell is like that. Jell too. Yeah, yeah we we'll check you out, Jell from Jersey. Yeah, yeah, man. That's so, so cool. You're you're paying attention to that stuff, and like it's exciting. I'm excited about the future, and I love to see uh, women in the scene. Yeah, I think it same. needs more. Like and I was killing it too. I was always trying to tell my wife, like when you have women on tour, it's good because I think it it tames everybody's asshole instincts. Like 100%. they they try to, you know. Yeah. My wife's like, I don't really want a girl on the bus with you guys. I'm like, I get it, but mm-hmm. um, I like having it around because I think it it makes it. It stops people's more basic instincts. It makes people more polite. Agreed. My wife's so merch with us, like almost her whole career, and she fucking set the tone out there too. Yeah, hundred percent. Check some fools too. Yeah, sure. I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers, well, yo. Thank you for being here. This has been 
It's my pleasure. Incredible. Thank dude. you so much for having me. I think this is one of the best things out there. The, the people that you have on, the conversations that you have on. Thank you. Diverse man. group of people, wonderful group of people. You know, you find the right, you just have a wonderful mix and people are just drawn to you. So it's a testament to you and who you are. Thank you, brother. You know, I remember talking on the phone and we're, I was like, man, when are you going to do PMA Fest? PMA Fest. Oh, yeah. PMA sure Fest. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. I think it would be great with metal and punk and everything. hardcore bands and skating and veganism and Buddhism and everything that's positive to just put it out there for people to, you know, punk rock saves lives, all these, yeah. you know. I should think about that. Yeah. I think there would be a lot of people that would want to help you, too. You guys too. play it, right? Of course, dude. It'd be awesome. I would fucking, I would help you with anything that you needed okay. in any way that I ever could. I should put, we're putting that out into the world right now, too, to make it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it would be great. Just start it one day, mm. you know, and just have it be an expression of music and positivity and- There's it, been nothing like that. PMA actually. Fest, babe. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the only common ingredient. It doesn't matter who plays. Yeah. It could be Amigo the Devil. It could be- a hip hop band, it could oh, be a metal sure. band, a punk rock. It's just whoever's just bringing the real positive vibe that wants positive change. Well, and let that De La Soul on there, man. Fuck. Oh my god. You know. So and just. I'm tell, really gonna think about this. I think it would be really a great thing. You're putting this out there right now into the world, man. Yeah. I Nobody think, take this idea if you're listening, but I think it'd be really. Or awesome. if you do, make a killer. Yeah. And make sure you invite both of us to. Play yeah. It, it doesn't true. matter. It doesn't matter where a good idea comes from. It's just that it's nah, a good idea, right? That it happens. Yeah. Oh, Phil, thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Appreciate you, brother. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, you can find your information online. You have your own Instagram, and then the band has their own Instagram. Yeah, and all that stuff. yeah. Sacred Reich. Do you check messages on there? Do you check yeah, them? I'm. I'm. Well, our team is consistent of me. I'm our so you, so check, you, you answer messages. You yeah, know. I'm our social media director. Do you director. talk to people in the comments? Do you, yeah. Do you let a negative comment bother you? If, if negative any, comments if there are any do you pay attention to anything like that no once again I don't yeah. expect everybody to like us I know the only ones I deleted are the ones like hey we got tickets and so you need to buy those tickets I don't all these bots oh yeah 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 I, I'm like I just otherwise look man you there's respond all, to people yeah. there's all kinds of people with comments I don't respond to negative stuff because totally. what's the point that's what they're doing it for for the they attention they want the attention yeah and I'm not giving it to them I don't really it doesn't bother me yeah yeah, and I'd like to take all of it with a grain of salt, even the positive stuff. You yeah. just say thank you, I really appreciate it, without like letting it do something to your ego, mm -hmm. right? You can accept a compliment and appreciation. See, we I'm sorry, but we started doing meet and greets. We've never done them before, and I am really opposed to the whole idea for charging for access. I agree. I hate the idea, but, but when I did the budget for this tour, I'm like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, my wife's not working, and I need to I need to pay my bills. This is my job. And uh, and when you start at a really big deficit, when you leave the, when you go out and you're like, okay, we're at this much of yes. a deficit, and we're hoping we can make it up and then make some profit at the end, well, you know, this was one of the things. And Dave was in Machine Head, and they used to do meet and greets. He goes, look, man. These are strictly voluntary. Nobody is making anybody do anything. He goes, and people want to do it. Okay. People want to meet the band. I said, all right, I'm going to relent. We'll try it. And one of the uh, unexpected things was meeting people who the band means a lot to yes. and hearing their stories one-on-one. -on -one. 
Because sometimes it would be one person, just one person at the meet and greet. Yeah. At the most, it was like eight or nine. It was not big, so it was more intimate. We got to hang out. Yeah. And some people fucking made me cry. Yeah, I'm sure, man. You know? Yeah, the story. Yeah, so that was kind of a really cool, unexpected part of it. And this is why we're doing it, ultimately. So when you really get to make those connections with people, I'm looking out in the crowd every night Mm -hmm. at the people, looking in their faces. Yeah. Because- that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Those connections with awesome. with people. That's why we do this. Yeah. Well, you're here for a reason. You're still playing for a reason. You inspired a lot of people with your band and changed a lot of lives, man. You should definitely be proud of everything you've done, you know? We're you just worked trying, hard for We're it just too, trying you know? to do our best, you know yeah. what I mean? To make a, our little corner of the world mm-hmm. just a, a little better. Just leave it a little bit better than we found it. Cool. If we can do that, we're, we're fortunate. I think you're doing it. <laughs> Well, thank you, bro, for being thank here. You. And uh, looking forward to the new record will come out next year, maybe, huh? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I, I hope we can finish writing the songs. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, we'll see what happens. Hopefully they come out. And if not, it'll take longer. But it's more important People that it's People wait that right. long to wait. Yeah, look, man, it's more. What's the point of rushing a record? For what? Mm-hmm. For what? Because once it's out, it's out. Yeah, forever. it's better just to put out the best shit you can. Yeah. That's all that really matters. Yeah. No one cares. I agree. Just do your thing. Do your thing. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. This was amazing, dude. I'm going to take a piss and then we're going to take a photo. Fuck yeah. Bye, everybody. Peace. Cheers. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos. I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg. It's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out. Swiped the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to Removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done. 100 locations. U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology. Cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do on these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out.